Robin Neumann. Yes. <laughs> How are you? When my parents would introduce myself, like, this is Robin, she's the swimmer, I'm like, more than that like I'm I'm someone else too I've really had to learn to live in the moment much more and just like live in the present and be okay with whatever happens at this point rather than reminiscing about the past or worrying too much about the future I just want to live much more in the present and be happy with what I'm doing rather than only worrying or being anxious about things I can't control or things that have happened and I can't change anyway or can't copy paste again in the future and never change the past and the only way you can change the future is by doing something right now my purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor. But to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Denting. I am your host, Fernando Andrade, and today I have a very special guest in front of me. Good vibes right now, and <laughs> I told you I just wanted to get this started because the conversation was already good. Robin Neumann. Yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Super excited about this. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I, like I just said, we were starting to get the conversation yeah. going and I was like, yep, we, I should definitely start recording. Um, so for starters, would you like to introduce yourself for those that may not know you? Yeah, so my name is Robin Neumann. Um, it's funny, it took a while for Calathetics to get that right because I'm technically... When people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from Europe because it's a pretty long answer. But I was born in Paris um, and have lived in about seven different countries. So, But my last name is Austrian because my mom is Dutch, my dad is Austrian. So it took a while for people to catch on to the Neumann. But at one point, I almost started introducing myself as Newman because <laughs> I was like, you know what, well, never mind. <laughs> people weren't catching on. But um, yeah, I'm a just newly graduated um, yesterday, actually. Um, I'm on the women's swimming team, or was, actually just finished, and a global studies major and a human rights minor, so Awesome, <laughs> awesome. That, that's why I love um, starting with, like, your self-introduction, just to get a sense yeah. of, like, who you introduce yourself as, but, but that's awesome. The first thing I will say is that Wikipedia has it wrong. Wikipedia says you were born in Munich. That, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who made that, but um, I did live in Munich. So there's something right there. But yeah, I was born in Paris, only lived there for about six months. Um, and then, yeah, Paris, Frankfurt, Germany, then moved to Stockholm, then moved to London, Munich, and then Amsterdam, and then Berkeley. And moving back to Amsterdam in about a month. So Yeah, yeah. I, I did see that. That's why I was curious as well. I was like, where are you from? Yeah. I think Europe is a very accurate It's a loaded answer. question. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, not this question. But I always I always say I'm European with a Dutch mother and an Austrian father. That's my simple answer. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. And citizenship-wise, you're Austrian and Dutch, right? Yeah, so I have dual passports. But I, for the past 10 years, have been representing the Netherlands swimming-wise. So at one point, I kind of had to make a choice. And Holland was, or the Netherlands, there's technically two names for the country. But the Netherlands is the correct way Um that's who I represented swimming-wise internationally, so, yep. Out of curiosity, what's the difference between Netherlands and Holland? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I would say Austria is pretty 
traditional and much more it's a lot about nature and like traditional but the Netherlands is a pretty I think more progressive country in some sense but swimming wise the Netherlands is just better um, and they had more opportunities for me and we were moving to the Netherlands anyway so I was like might as well represent the country I'm living in right now so yeah that was cool I, I meant sorry I meant mostly like with the names Netherlands oh, and, and Holland. Holland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry, I, I, sorry, Austria. No, you're good. I know it has to do with history and like yeah, the so grouping of the nation. Technically, but... the Netherlands used to be called like the Seven Kingdoms because it was like seven parts. And Holland, I don't know when we changed to the Netherlands, but I do know they recently like scrapped the name Holland and was like, everyone, please call it the Netherlands now. But it's kind of a mouthful sometimes. But um, yeah, it's. I think it's just history. Okay. Yeah, historical. Yeah, and I'm so good at saying you're Dutch. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's Holland, the Netherlands, but then Dutch. Okay. <laughs> and we speak Dutch, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, besides that, in terms of like where you're from with, with all yes. of this, um, how was your experience moving literally from city to city? Like I had it down where you were in six, living in six different cities, six different countries, but it's seven cities, six countries, yeah. so. What's that experience like? What stages of your life were, were each one in? Yeah, um, I, I would now I look at it and I'm like, I'm really grateful it happened. But in the middle of it, I was like, oh, God, I'm moving again. <laughs> I don't want to because every time it would be a new language. So that I think was the toughest part, having to learn a new language. My mom always spoke Dutch with me and my dad always spoke German to me, but I never spoke it back. So technically German was my first language, but then I completely lost it when we moved to England because then I grew up in... London and just started speaking English and then we moved to Germany had to co totally like relearn German in an educational setting and I'd never like written a word of German or read it so that was really tough um, I remember getting my first like exam back and it was just like fully marked in red I was like oh god I'm not passing <laughs> and so that was stressful and then we moved to the Netherlands and I was like okay I have to do it all over again but German and Dutch are pretty similar so that does help um, but yeah it was it was tough I would say especially when we moved to Munich, my parents were like, okay, this is where we're staying. And so I like really started setting up like a foundation and then it just gets uprooted again. But I would say it has told me to be super like versatile. It's like opened up my mind. Um, I would say I'm good at like adjusting to new scenarios. So that definitely helped when I moved to Berkeley. Um, but yeah, I'd moved at this point, I'd moved like 12 times and I was like, you know what, let me just move across the world again. Yeah. <laughs> or for the first time actually to something that wasn't Europe, but yeah, I wanted a new challenge. I think the reason I did that too is because I'm so used to moving around. I'd been in Amsterdam for about six years and I was like, eh, it's time for something new. So that's part of the reason why I started like looking to come to America. Yeah. yeah. Like, and for context, take me through like the ages. The like ages. You were in Paris six, six months. Six months. Then Frankfurt was, um, I want to say like about a year and a half short. Sweden, uh, Stockholm was about two years, I want to say. London was six, but we lived in three different cities. We lived in London, then moved outside of London, moved back to London. And then Munich was two and a half years. Amsterdam, I moved to Amsterdam in 2011, like a context. So at this point I was 13. Um, and then did my whole high school in Amsterdam. So that was the longest period I've ever been in one place is six years. So, wow. Yeah. But even then moved to three different houses. So that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Can I ask why you guys moved so much? I'm assuming that has yeah, to do with your parents. My work. dad's job. Okay. Yeah. So he works in the hospitality industry, um, became the CEO of like a hotel group and he just kept like climbing up the ladder and getting promoted. And then we would have to move jobs. So, or move, he moved jobs, we moved places. So that's kind of. What it was, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point in your life right now, how many languages are you comfortable with? I'm fluent in three and speak a bit of French. 
So I took two semesters here at Cal. <laughs> it definitely helped, but I do want to be able to say that I speak French given I was born in Paris. Um, and it will help down the line with what I want to do. Like the diplomacy world is in French, a lot of it. So I want to be able to speak French. So I'm working on that, but I'm fluent in three. So English, Dutch, and German. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. Yeah. That's so <laughs> sick. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can relate a tiny bit okay. to what you're saying with the yeah. languages because when I, I mean, I was born in San Diego, yeah. like I told yeah. you, but to Mexican parents. Okay. So the when people ask me what my first language was, I mean, definitely speaking Spanish to my parents, yeah. but they would just like everything on TV that I was watching was in English. Yeah. Yeah. So it helps. No, I hope TV's a, lot. a big part. Like I remember watching uh, Teletubbies in German, like, <laughs> and then would have my mom speaking to me in Dutch, and then whenever we were together as a family, it would be English. So it was just like, I call it Denglish with my sister. We call it, we speak Denglish because it's like half of my sentences in English, half of it is in Dutch. There's some German sayings in there. And past 10 p.m., that's when my languages just get all muddled up because I get so tired. I think my brain is just, just gives up. So <laughs> then everything just goes to Denglish pot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. For, for us, definitely Spanglish exists. Sp yes. <laughs> it has it. a very, like, that's very Californian. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, because of yeah. the history. I don't know if you know, but, like, California was part of Mexico yeah. originally yeah. and things like that. So Spanglish does exist. It has a very negative connotation. My parents would get okay. pissed off okay. if, if I do that. Um, and I, I'm kind of annoyed at it as well, but my friends do it a lot. Yeah. So yeah. It's, I, it's nice. You could just like pick and choose from different languages. I think it's fun. Um, and we make our own little language that way in my family. But it's interesting that it has a negative connotation. Yeah. At least in California, well, to, just to, for context, I kind of live like in a border city. Yeah. Not kind of, it is a border city. Okay. So I'm between both cities, Got not it. even kidding, every single day. Wow. So I'm going back home tomorrow. Yeah. And home is San Diego, yeah. but right now my parents live in Mexico in the border city oh, right wow. there. Okay. So I cross the border every day. Wow. But it's normal. Like, it's not that's a big cool. deal. That's cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's super cool. So, so that's wow. why there's, like, that connotation yeah. to it. Like, okay. you moved around from country to yeah. country. And for yeah. me, it's, like, every single day yeah. I'm in two Just countries. Country, crossing country. I'm going to the other country today. <laughs> See, it... it it sounds weird when I explain it yeah. to people at Cal, but back home, it's normal. I have that bubble. Like yeah. it, it's weird again explaining this to people because I was just talking to um, one one of the girls that lives upstairs, and she's from London but born in Madrid. Okay. And we were just talking, and she's like, "But you're Mexican." I'm like, "Nope, I'm American." Yeah. And she's like, "Well, Mexican American." And I, I had to explain yeah. like. It's a very small cultural yeah. bubble yeah. of people that are there and back yeah. every single day. That's interesting. So, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it, it is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay I, I, I've come to appreciate it. Like I was mentioning yeah. San Diego, I come to appreciate it once I'm not there. Yeah. So. I get that. I've come to appreciate Europe a lot since I've been here. I'm excited to go back. I've loved America, but I'm definitely, I feel European at heart. So yeah. I'm ready to go back. <laughs> Before we, we start diving into yeah. swimming and and everything you, you've accomplished, yeah. um, you mentioned different ways of thinking, obviously because of the cultural mm -hmm. aspect, but also because of language. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I've come to understand yeah. as well. Yeah. How much have you used that, especially here? I think quite a, more than I realized. I think it's just the adaptability I think has helped a lot. I, I remember calling my mom the first like month here. I had to write an essay, like a one pager about myself. And I was like, I don't know how to write an English essay. I mean, I've since I did like primary school in English, I could speak English, but I'd never like written an English essay. And I called her like crying. 
have to write a one-page essay about myself. And now I'm like, I just wrote a thesis. So I'm like, that's like a big difference. But um, I think it just helps you like pick up on things like quickly. I don't know, like little differences. I think I'm also pretty aware of like different cultures because even in Europe, like Germany and Holland are bordering countries. I said Holland, see the Netherlands. But um, they're very different. So I think I've just always been, I've been fascinated, I think, just how different like Western European countries are. And even though the languages are super similar, the, like it's very different. Um, it's hard to explain. I would say like kind of similar to, it's, it's very like minute differences, but I think, I mean, one of the essays I wrote, I wrote about how like each country has taught me something. So like England has taught me like how to be polite and like follow the rules. Oh no, Germany, England was polite. And then Germany was like how to follow the rules because Germans love their rules. And then Dutch was like, to speak your mind because the Dutch just always speak their mind. So that's kind of like how, who I am today is a little part of like each country, I would say for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's so cool. Like you take inspiration from yeah. everywhere and then create your own. Idea. Exactly. So I'm a European mix, I would say. That's so cool. European <laughs> yeah. mix with a bit of America now as well. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. My mom actually, and my parents were here and they were joking that I definitely have a more American accent um, after five years. Cause I, I would say that's also cause I've been, so used to like adapting to different like dialects even because when I lived in Munich two years down the line I had a Bavarian accent and my dad was like oh no <laughs> please don't speak like that <laughs> but I would say definitely some American twang in there now as well well even right yeah. now like I sense like a tiny bit of a British accent and then European and then a bit of Californian yeah, it's, and it's all over the place depending on the words exactly exactly and honestly it depends how I wake up that day like if I call my mom first thing that morning, then I like wake up Dutch. Or if I call my dad that morning, I'm like German. So it's like, just kind of depends on like how I wake up. But I would say um, a lot of people ask me like what language I dream in. I have no idea. I think it depends on where I am. Cause I think if I'm in America, then I dream in English. But I think if I'm back in the Netherlands, I dream Dutch. I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you realize how powerful that is? Like what you just explained? Really? <laughs> your adaptability between languages just like that yeah it's cool it's cool it's I'm I'm grateful like it was tough moving that often like losing all my friends and it's hard to keep in contact as like a eight, nine-year-old ten-year-old with like friends back home but um it's cool I'm it's made me who I am and I think it's also really set me up for the future as well from things that I want to do so yeah. yeah no that's incredible yeah. <laughs> that's incredible yeah I mean I'm sure there's sacrifices like I was thinking well elementary school was three different countries or something yeah. like that and it's like damn like yeah. at that age it must yeah. be really hard yeah but it's I think it's paid off yeah, right because I learned how to speak English in Stockholm at the international school in Stockholm by an American teacher and the way I learned it is they had a Dutch girl from an older year come into my class and translate everything because I could understand Dutch but I like had never spoken English and so she would like translate everything for a couple of weeks. And that's how I learned to speak English. So it's like, even that is like an American influence, Dutch influence in Sweden. That's how yeah. I learned to speak English. So it's kind of random, but no, it's <laughs> a it, cool mix. So super yeah. unique. Yeah. yeah. Because the way I've explained it, like when talking to other Europeans, I feel like the European Union is basically like the United States, but with completely different cultures. The within. states are the countries, basically, I would say. Yep. Exactly. Yep. That's what I always yep. say. Like when you were mentioning like different, oh, like um, wait, Netherlands. Yes. I was about to say Holland. <laughs> Netherlands and Germany. Yep. Last week, and you just said they're bordering. Yep. Last week I was in Arizona. Yeah, completely Two different. Two hour flight. Yep. Very different. Yep. Very, very different. Later on, it's going to be like later this week, one hour flight to yep. San Diego. Also completely different. Yeah. 
And don't even get me into the South, Texas, East Coast, like Midwest. Completely different. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So. I definitely had a bit of a culture shock coming here, but (laughs) yeah, how big America is. And I, you know, it's one country, but it's just 50 different countries, in my opinion. Like each state, even like within a state, like Northern and Southern California, very different. So I didn't even know that coming here, but yeah, it has opened up my eyes for sure to like what America is. Yeah. I, I'm a, I know you're global studies, but I'm a political science major. Yep. And now I think about it that same way, yep. especially like I mentioned, since I've been getting the experience of going more to Europe recently, I understand it now yep. as like every state is its own country yep. in the it US. Really is. So. It's so different. Yep. Yeah. That's cool though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yep. let's continue with your story. You're yep. all over the place. Yep. When does swimming come in? Yeah. Um, we, I started swimming when we moved from Sweden to London. My mom had three young kids because I have a younger brother and a younger sister. And she didn't know what to do with us. And so she put us into swimming, like camp, basically. And this was 2003. And the teacher, I, re- I actually talked about this with her this weekend because we were like reminiscing about all these different things. And she was like, yeah, the teacher basically was like, yeah, you, your daughter lies up higher in the water. You should do something with that. And my mom's like, okay. And I loved it. I went through all the like different, it was like penguin sh- otter seal shark levels or something like that and within a like a month I had done them all and I just wanted to keep swimming so went into the club there and basically every single move since I went into a swimming club um I would say I started getting good when we moved to Munich because that's when I went into like a more like elite like kind of level thing um like a more like exclusionary club like where they have to invite you basically um and then I became German national age group champion in 2010 or nine one of those I can't exactly remember and that's when I was like okay I can kind of do this like I'm kind of good um and then get it started getting really serious when I moved to Amsterdam in 2011. Okay so you were around 12 13 in Germany when when you started to take those steps because it was 2010 yeah 10 11 yeah because I'm 2009 yeah like 10 11 I would say yeah because I was 12 13 when we moved to Amsterdam and that's when I that's when I started uh I so when I was 13 between the summer of moving from Munich to Amsterdam I had qualified for my first like international it was the European Youth Olympic Festival in Turkey (laughs) it was kind of cool it was really cool it's like a mini like they tried to emulate the Olympic Games at like a really small level for like youth it was really cool. We had like stayed in a village and everything. And then um, as of then, I got invited to swim with the national team of like the youth team. So when we moved to Amsterdam, I started training with the like youth regional training center group. So that's how I came into the Dutch Swimming Federation. How, how did you decide to swim under the Dutch identity? Was it because you got that invitation or did something else come into well, consideration? Well, so we, when we lived in Munich, uh, I knew we were going to move to Amsterdam and my mom had reached out to the like just literally looked up on Google, like, Swimming Federation Holland, and then, like, emailed some person, and they were like, yeah, by the way, if she swims this time, there's this meet, Um, and that's when my parents and I, like, sat down and talked about whether I would want to actually really represent the Netherlands, because once you decide, I think it's, like, if you then want to switch to another country, you have to have two years where you don't represent a country, so kind of making that decision was, like, for good, kind of, um, and then I, I flew by myself to Amsterdam, qualified for the European Youth Olympic Festival, and then I kind of went from there. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Is that the nationality you feel most attached to? Ooh, I don't know if my dad would like this, but I would say so. I think also just because, you know, representing the Netherlands, like having the Dutch cap on your flag, like 
the Dutch flag on your cap and swimming for them. And I have been there the longest. I've never lived in Austria, but I definitely have family there and I do feel Austrian like at heart. Um, but I would say that's the nationality I most like. I would say I'm mostly Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, dad. <laughs> I, I'm the same with my parents. I'm, I feel way more American than Mexican. Okay. I mean, they're yeah. not American, yeah. so yeah. I can relate. I think it just has a lot to do with where you've lived the longest, and that's the Netherlands right now. So, and I'm moving back there now as well. So, yeah, that's yeah. where my, my family lives, my friends are. So, yeah, that makes the most sense. So. Yeah. So besides, your, like, all the cities you've lived in, the traveling is pretty amazing as well right yeah. you were in turkey i saw that you competed in china in israel and then once you got into like the senior national yeah. team well i mean that that opens all the doors yeah. and then you come here and you're continuing to compete everywhere so how was that experience now that you have already experienced so many cultures was there a level of maturity that you saw that you had in comparison to others that didn't I think so, a little bit. I think it's just, like, opening up your eyes to, like, the whole world. I think I counted, I've been to, like, 48 countries, which is insane at 24 years old. Um, and a lot of those are where I only see the swimming pool and the hotel. But it is cool, like, you drive by and you're in that country. Um, I went on my first training camp when I was nine years old to Cyprus. And my mom actually decided that she thought it was so scary that she booked the hotel next to us and just stayed there in case it went wrong or I wanted to go home. Um, but yeah, nine years old being in Cyprus for two weeks away from your parents is a pretty young thing to do. <laughs> um, but I would say it's just a level of, like opening up your mind and like your opinions and your curiosities and seeing a lot of like of the world. I think I think it's super important, but it's also obviously something that not many people get to do. And I'm like grateful that I've had that um, and definitely don't take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, important to put it into perspective. Yeah. I yeah. think, like, 48 yeah. countries. Yeah, it's not normal. I know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, that's, like, I want to do something good with that. Like, that's why I want to go into the diplomacy world, like, into the foreign service. But, because I've had that opportunity and I want to do something with it. But it is, you know, I talk to people here and they have no idea where the Netherlands is. And I'm like, wow, okay, maybe in my opinion first I was like, oh, you're, like, don't you know anything about the world but America's huge like that's what I've come to learn but it is like I think also a lot of Americans don't know about European countries but which I think has always been interesting like opening up your eyes to that but um yeah it's I would say it's definitely something I it's very special like having traveled to so many different countries yeah it puts things into a completely different perspective like oh. you're saying but yeah, I mean, I'll, I can criticize it myself. Yeah. I grew up here, I was raised here, everything like school-wise. So you're, when we learn about history, it's through an American yeah. lens, right? So yeah. American history, there's a reason we say we're the best country in the yeah. world, because we don't know any other country. Yeah. Only 30% of Americans have a passport. Yeah, I actually learned that recently. It's crazy. But then again, I do somewhat understand it because you have like every single climate in America. So if you want to go on vacation, you can go anywhere in America. You don't necessarily have to leave, but it does. It's a bubble in that sense. Like we were talking about bubbles, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's when I learned that as well, I was like, OK, whoa, I'm like spoiled in that sense because Europe, you drive two hours and you're in Germany, like for me. So it's like super normal, like crossing a state is crossing a country, as we were saying before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's crazy to put things into that perspective. Like, you have two nationalities, or I mean, I can relate yeah. to that part. Yeah. I have two nationalities yeah. as well, and it's like, wow, I have two passports, yeah. and most, like, That's 70% not, of yeah. the country 
doesn't, doesn't even, even have, have one. one. Yeah. I know that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's ridiculous to to think that way. But I'm glad you're using that like to your advantage, as you should. Yeah. I think like it. It'd be a shame to have all of that and not be using it. Yeah, my dad always made sure that we knew how, like, unique our childhood was and to not be, just, like, take it for granted. He definitely always made sure that we knew that that was a pretty unique thing to have traveled to so many countries at a young age. And it helps, you know, he works in the hotel industry, so we could always just, like, go to different hotels across the world, which is also not normal. And I'm, like, so grateful that we got to do all those things. But, yeah, he always made sure that we knew that that was, that we were grateful for that and, like appreciated it for what it was yeah so you have that personal experience with all of that yeah. traveling <laughs> and uh, like moving and things like that but within swimming you also have experiences of getting to know other cultures in a different way in a competitive sense take me through what it was like competing I know like you competed in the European short course long course like even before coming here obviously the Olympics as well like there's so many different cultural aspects what's the difference between going to school and then competing against different cultures as well yeah um I think it's super cool when so I've yeah I've done European short course long course world's short course long course and Olympics and you're like there's always like a ready room or like where we put our bags down and start doing dry land and you're looking around and you see every almost like every single country and it's so interesting to see how each country goes about things in a different way like I remember England started doing this thing with like an active dry land and then but we always like all within the swimming world at least like we kind of like pick from each other like coaches are constantly looking at each other and seeing what their like athletes are doing and I think in that way we are all like learning from each other um but I do remember there's some countries I've like people from certain countries I've never spoken to and then there's like people that you know and talk to all the time I would say definitely within Europe because it's a smaller like grouping and you've done European short course so you know like those people and you like you see them at the European Youth Olympic Festival in 2011 and then at the Olympics in 2016 which is really cool um but I don't know I don't think I have learned that much about like cultures definitely at swimming but I do see like America always to me was like an untouchable country and they were always like so serious and they're in their own bubble and super loud and they had like bells and like with like I always thought it was super cool and how like much of a team they encapsulate like I think America very much has that like team aspect whereas like Holland I would say they take it much more in a Netherlands <laughs> see I do it all the time <laughs> it's just easier Holland flows off my mouth like a lot better but the Netherlands thank you we, I would say they take swimming as a much more like individual thing. We just have a group of individuals coming together, whereas America is very like, we're here as a team and you're representing the USA. I don't know, as it, there's not as much of that within the Netherlands, so, yeah. And do you still, like, still see it that way now that you've... I do, I see it even more that way, yeah. Wow, yeah. okay, yeah. interesting. So there, countries take it in a different sense, but I would say swimming is pretty generic, but I, th I think each country just has their, like, specific ways of going about things yeah yeah um, interesting i think that the best part is that you mentioned that you were learning from every person yeah. to get into the question you asked me before we started yeah. recording that's kind of why i started with okay. the podcast right okay. so um basically the story is freshman year spring semester pandemic hits yep and I'm used oh, that to was your freshman year. my freshman year oh my god that's so sad exactly exactly <laughs> so i came into season very hard season because we're fall, so we yeah. start right away. Yeah. Hard season personally. Um, and then I come back, and I was... This is a fun story, actually. I was sick 
from February to oh. March. Extremely <laughs> sick. Like, and, and I got tested for everything, and they were like, it's not the flu. No. They kept telling me, it's not the flu. And I'm like, I've never felt worse oh, in my God. life. Like, it it was bad. I didn't go to school or practice for three weeks. Whoa. Like, it was that okay. bad. Um, very, very bad. And then once I was fine again, I come back, and the next week we sent were sent back home. home. So that that's, like, my freshman year experience. I didn't have anything. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was yesterday, actually, that I got my two-year notification on Google Photos. But basically, I was very bored at home, yeah. like most of the Everyone. world. yep. <laughs> and something I got into was reading the news. That was my goal for mm-hmm. 2020, like, New Year's resol- resolution was just reading the news a bit more. That's a great one. So I, I got into that a lot, and I was reading all these things, and I got really pissed off, not at the world, but at my friends, or not pissed off, annoyed, at how misinformation was mm. guiding them during the pandemic. Yeah. So what I did was, oh, I'm already reading all these news sources. I'm sending them the links, and they're like, dude, I'm not going to read all these links. <laughs> so, Stop sending me all these links. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, what can I do? So I took all these links from different sources, I summarized it, and I would make a video every single night to explain to them Whoa, what was going on in the cool. world. Yep. I like that. <laughs> so That's a cool idea. Yeah, so that's how I got yeah. into it. And then one of my dad's best friend's daughter caught on to that. She's a few years older than me, so we hadn't met. She saw that, and she was like, oh, I'm into content creation. Let's start making videos. So she was recording I was writing and speaking into the camera. That's cool. Yesterday marked two years since I put no the way. phone in front of me for the first time <laughs> and started talking into That's it. That's awesome. And through conversations, things like that, it was all in Spanish. Okay. But I was like, damn, if I come back to Cal, I'm not going to be doing this anymore. How can I keep it going? One, how can I keep it going? Yeah. Two, I want to get to know people, yeah. but I don't enjoy going out. Okay. What can I do? Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Perfect solution. <laughs> but but the point is that in the same way that, that you're taking little things or that the coaches are taking little things from every mm-hmm. team or things like that, I'm kind of doing the same thing. That's like cool. at the end, I have like a list of lessons that I learned from every person. And then I put those That's together great. and it's impacted me yeah. a lot. I was um, I was talking with, who was it? I was talking with Eloise uh, earlier this week. Yeah, awesome. And we were just talking like leadership things mm-hmm. and within teams and things like that. And she asked me, like, what we're doing within our team. And I explained, and I told her, like, it actually came from talking to some of your teammates on the podcast as well that I got that same idea, combined it with other teams' ideas, and now we're doing this. So you're, like, picking. That's good, though. I mean, Cal is a great place to pick and choose from. So, I mean, you've got the, like, best athletes at the best university, and it's a good place to learn from, I would say. (laughs) I think we don't take enough advantage of that. Like, I uh, I think two days ago now, Nina Shank was here and we were talking about the same thing. Like there's so many amazing student athletes at Cal, like everyone has their own story and I don't pretend to be able to find out what everybody's story is. But if I can get to know 50 stories, that's still a lot. lot. And that's what I'm trying to do because let's take this out of context or the the setting. Like we would never be having this specific conversation (laughs) if there weren't cameras, (laughs) lights and mics in front of us, you know, that's true. Yeah. Like, Yep. I don't know. I didn't want to interrupt. No, that. no, no, no. I think, I mean, especially this year, because I'm a, so I'm a fifth year. Um, so I think especially this year, my dad was like, okay, do this fifth year, but make sure you like use it properly and like do things you wouldn't normally do. And I started like using the resources or like actually talking to other, like so many more people. And I was like, oh my, what is that? What have I been doing for the past four years? Like you start, it starts opening up your eyes. And I mean, this is like a bubble again, but it is 
an incredible bubble. So I feel like it's the best place to try and learn from other people and incredible stories. Like, I feel like that's such a cool thing about Berkeley. Like you meet anyone, they have a story. And that's, I mean, you can never get to know all of them, but that you're starting. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's better to get to know some than yeah. none at yeah. all, because I, I know there's 930 stories yeah. here. I don't think I'll even get to know 100, yeah. but 50 is better yeah. than zero yeah. sort Agreed. of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly why, as you asked me earlier as well, I'm a junior, rising senior, mm -hmm. and I'm like, nope, I cannot leave here right now. I like, don't want to be gone. <laughs> yeah, I have to stay a bit longer, yeah. so. That's fair. That's well, part I did. of it. Yeah. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah. So as you start competing more and more, take me through that experience of European short course, European long course, like as the, especially leading up to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Was that a goal you had? Was it like something you thought about as a kid or did it just come? Um, no, it's I've definitely always wanted to go. That was the dream. I remember I was in vacation in Italy in 2008 and we was the Olympic Beijing Games and the Dutch uh, females won the 4x100 freestyle relay. And I remember sitting in the pool watching it and I was like, I want to do that. That's that's who I want to be. And um, at that point, that's when I was like, okay, I want to do this seriously. I remember like even telling my parents, I was like, that, that, I want to do that. <laughs> um, and then... I would say I once I got into the Dutch Swimming Federation, like a lot of doors opened up because it's just they take swimming pretty seriously because we're a tiny country of 17 million people, but they take swimming very seriously. It's not a big like fan sport. Like it's not like we have a lot of per people watching us, but they w people know that we're a good swimming country. Um, so once I got into that, I was like, OK, I'm pretty I'm set. And if I do well, then I'm good. Um, and I kind of got good like all of a sudden, like, I didn't think, I never thought Rio would be possible. It was kind of always, like, 2020 was, like, I think age-wise, like, the goal more. Um, but I, I had an operation on my nose, like, on my sinus in 2015. Took, like, three months off. And then my coach was like, okay, if we want to make the Olympics, how are we going to do this? And at this time, I was swimming backstroke still. And he was like, there's a spot in the 4x200 freestyle every day, and I think you're pretty good at freestyle. How about we just switch it? And I was like, what? Why would you do that? <laughs> Because I had been swimming backstroke, like, all along. But I trusted him. I loved my coach. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to... I'm going to trust you all this way. And then all of a sudden, I made European short course. Within, like, three months, I'd gone, like, seconds off of my PB. And then that December, I almost got the qualification time. And then I was really, like, on the potential Olympic list as of January 2016. And, like, started going on training camps. And, like, really started going with the senior national team, which I hadn't until then. And then in April, we had our qualification, and I I think I saw him like a two-and-a-half-second PB, which is just, like, not normal in swimming. I, I don't know That's what insane. happened. It's unreal. Yeah, it's crazy. And then all of a sudden, I was second, and you can only have two people per country, per event, and I, the girl who was third was 0.02 slower than me. Wow. I, so I, I don't know. I must have had, like, the perfect finish, and that's how I got to swim. So I qualified with the 4 by 200 but because I was second... I also got to send the 200 freestyle individually. So it was an unreal year because I was, I just turned 18. Um, I I was all of a sudden with like my idols, like the, my roommate at the Olympics or she wasn't my roommate at the Olympics, but at Europeans that year was one of the girls who won the relay in 2008. And I remember being at the European championships in May in London and we had won a medal at this championship with her. And I just like, I remember, like, idolizing you, and now you're, like, my roommate. I was like, this is insane. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so. Idols become roommates. Yeah, Femme Games Gark. I've always looked up to her, so she's she's cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. With with the thing you mentioned about freestyle, 
I could have sworn like from from what the information that yeah. is available, it's all freestyle. Yeah, because I got I started getting good when it was freestyle. Like that's when I like started qualifying for senior international meets. But like the youth Olympic games in 2014, I was a backstroke, and then the Olympic games two years later was freestyle. So. Yeah, I mean a lot of freestylers do backstroke, and it's not like it's more like freestyle backstroke and breaststroke and free uh, fly are more kind of the groupings you tend to see. So it wasn't like that big of a switch, but you know we switched in August, the Olympic year. I don't like I don't know. You always feel like it's a four year period towards the Olympics, but I had nothing to lose. No one knew who I was. I like I was not on the potential list of anything. So I was like, you know what? Why not? So yeah, yeah. did did that like huge change in terms of how quickly your level just went yeah. up was that a surprise to you yeah yeah I, I mean it like it was all of a sudden because I I mean in August of 2015 I was still kind of a nobody and that's when I f like went to the because I'd gone to the senior training center the year before because I was starting to get good but the backstroke just wasn't really taking me anywhere so that's where it was like okay let's do a switch I guess um and then all of a sudden I'm going to Thailand and Tenerife and Malaga on like training camp and I'm like what whoa <laughs> so and at the same time I was trying to finish high school this year so it was it was a lot I was doing my final exams and I Europeans was right at the same time as my final exam period so that, that was a lot but I feel like that prepared me for Cal <laughs> yeah definitely yep. <laughs> so yep. well, a few things to break up there yep. um such a quick change yep. in your career you mentioned like nobody knowing who you were mm -hmm. and you had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Take me through that underdog mentality. Was it a, uh, like it definitely takes pressure off, but yes. how much did it help you? I think it, it helped me a lot. Cause I was like, I, I had so much fun at this point. And I think that's one thing I've definitely learned over the years. I swim the best when I'm having the most fun. And like, I was swimming with, I was 18. I was swimming with like 26, 27, 28 year olds. And I was like the little baby girl on the team I was like this is so cool I'm with like the big guys <laughs> training with them and doing in like I was swimming all the time I was swimming like 20, 20 plus hours a week like I was like 35 hours at least like a week at this point like wow. running as well like it was unreal it was that was everything it was like swimming was at that year for sure was absolutely everything and I in December it was like our first qualification meet and I was not I was good enough to like be taken along with things and I was just like whoa and then January we went on a three-week training camp to Thailand and that's when I started getting like really into the group and I was just like this is so cool <laughs> I was very I was super jittery and like the little girl who knew nothing but um it was fun yeah it was so much fun yeah that's so interesting and did you ever have like were you having fun and taking the pressure off or did you also have a sense of like the hungry underdog that's yeah. like has that competitive edge I would say well. from like August to December like it was super underdog it's to see what happens but then when I knew I was slowly like I had a shot as of January I was like okay I like this is kind of it like I need to do this and I was getting super hungry for that yeah so I was like it was like reachable it was like right there and I was like this is what I want like I should go for it all the way um and I I remember talking with my coach in January in Thailand I was like I actually think I could kind of make this and I was like did I just say that out loud yeah I did <laughs> but um that's when I realized it was possible um and yeah four months later I qualified so that was pretty sick <laughs> but before we talk about that qualification yeah. um to go back on, to your point of like getting to know different stories and yeah. taking the best from everyone 
yesterday, Noah Newfield from uh, Men's Gymnastics, he's a sophomore, mm-hmm. he was here, mm-hmm. and he's going through that stage right now. Oh, so the best stage ever. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I want to go back. <laughs> he came in as a senior in high school that was, according to him, a medium recruit. Like, okay. he was not one of the bigger names in the sport, and right now he's, like, on the brink of making the national wow. team. That's awesome. So he's like right there and yeah. he's like, but me being the underdog is what's driving me right yeah. now. Yeah. And you saying that is oh, so it definitely, it definitely, I was like, I, I was like, I want to prove people wrong. Cause I really did. Cause it wasn't like people were not rooting for me. I think everyone's like, whoa, okay. Like this Robin girl is like, who is she? Like we're kind of, I'm coming, coming up, but I was like, okay, I got to prove to them that I can do this. Because I don't think anyone really else thought in January that I was, like, actually going to make it because I was nowhere before. So it was, like, kind of, like, unheard of, whereas all these older, like, professional athletes had been training for this for, like, cycles and years. And I was like, how cool would this be if I actually, like, could do this? Um, and my parents were always like, stay humble. Like, it's okay if it doesn't work out. Like, they've always been, like, the best supporters. But... I was like, no, I'm doing this. <laughs> I was like, I need to, I, I'm just going to prove that I can do this. Yeah. So that definitely was the driving force of that. Yeah. He definitely said the same thing of like, I have something to prove. He yeah. was rookie of the year. And then in the post interview, he said, no, I still have something to prove, That's which awesome. is, yeah, he, it <laughs> it's was never the, enough. <laughs> never. It's never ending. That's definitely like an athlete mentality. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have your ego start to boost up at that time or not really? No, because um, Femke Heimskerk, I remember at European when at European short course, she like for the first time said my name, and I was like, "Whoa, Femke knows my name," <laughs> and I rem- I kind of same like I wanted to learn from her because I was like, "You are so cool," and she told me she was like one of the coolest things is staying humble as an athlete when you like are rising. She was like, "I have always made sure that I am so grateful for everything that comes, and I'm like humble in the experience," and I was like, "Okay." I think you're super cool, so that's what I'm going to try and do. And I think that's definitely been a, something I've tried to like take with me as well, is like, no matter how successful or what's happened or whatever opportunity comes at me, I like want to stay humble in it because I've seen athletes who don't do that, and I'm like, mm, it's not, I don't know, I don't think it's like the way to go personally. Um, so I remember her saying that to me. I was like, okay, yep, that's, that's who I want to be. <laughs> that's so yeah. awesome. Uh, in, in Stoic literature, there's... Someone that's always brought up, uh, Cato the Younger. And Cato the Younger was always mentioned, but there's nothing that he wrote specifically. Mm -hmm. He was just mentioned as the character that people looked up to Mm -hmm. in terms of being a role model. And that's like what modern stoicism is saying. It's like you have to have someone in your mind that you look up to. And you don't have to interact with them at all, but just have them in your mind. And it's like, what would they be doing? Yeah. How can I be learning yeah. from them? And I feel like it's the yeah. exact same thing yeah. you're saying. Yeah, so I, I definitely, you know, and then a couple of months later, I was her roommate and I was like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> but I remember her saying that. I was like, yep, okay. All right, stay humble it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. that's yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. and in, when, when you did qualify, when was that? I think it was in, in Europeans, right? Um, no, so it was April 2016. Um, it was our like Olympic qualification meet. Officially, I had qualified after Europeans in May because that's when the time like the time to qualify like finished um, or ended. But I made it in um, April of 2016. Yeah. So you go from in 2015 being a backstroker to in 2016 qualifying for <laughs> for freestyle. Yeah. You remain humble. You're still learning. You're very hungry. Mm-hmm. What was the? You know what? 
quick break again because you have so many things going on. <laughs> yeah. Like you mentioned, academically, mm-hmm. which we're going to definitely get into later. How serious were you about academics back then? I know right now you had an amazing resume at Cal, <laughs> um, but at that time, balancing all of that, mm-hmm. how were your academics and how much did you prioritize it growing up as a student? Um, I've always prioritized it, and that's definitely because of my parents, because they were always like, you can swim, but you have to take academics just as seriously. So they were always like, we're going to be on your side for swimming, and you can do it. But my dad always reminded me that swimming is going to end at some point, and then there's you have a much longer life after that. He always, like That's like pounded in me. <laughs> so I always took academics pretty seriously. And growing up, I did my elementary school in England, and it's a pretty like rigorous academic environment as I remember doing like as an 11 year old doing 11 plus exams trying to get into high school like basically like final exams at 11 years old but that really taught me to take academics seriously um so I've always taken academics seriously but when I went to uh the Netherlands I got to because of my top sports status got to go to like a sports school where I could basically do what I wanted as long as I passed um, and they gave me a lot of like freedom in what I was doing. So I, um, it's like the center of top sport and education or something like that. So I actually split my exam year of high school into two years. Cause in the Netherlands you have to graduate in, or yeah, eight subjects. And I did four one year in 2016 and four the next year in 2017. Okay. So that gave me a lot more time because we realized that Europeans were right in the exam period. I, I went, I did my German exam and then flew later to London to meet the team. Three days later, swam, and then flew back early to do my economics exam. I can't remember which one it was, but that was a very <laughs> stressful period. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure their your teammates at that point are laughing because they have nothing to do with oh, academics. Oh no, they at they had like either. I mean, they are all professional athletes, and they're like, what? Like high school exams? But it was funny, and my coach definitely always helped me. And he, um, so my coach Martin Trauns at this point, he definitely helped me like take it seriously and he was like okay I want you to finish your high school exam like like that's important so he's like how can we combine these two things so that was he definitely helped me in that but I it was never like I'm not gonna do it like that just never was an option it was always take academics just as seriously as swimming yeah so you're taking academics extremely seriously your whole life swimming as you're mentioning it you're like you bring it up and you're like brightening up right now you're like super excited about (laughs) it what about anything else in life? Did Was there a balance with social life or was swimming and academics your entire life at that, that point? That year, that 2015-16, I was a hermit. <laughs> I think it was just school and just swimming. I remember my coach, the same coach I just mentioned, he was like, when you're planning out your week, like actually maybe like plan an hour for yourself because I was so, he was the one who told me how to like plan my week out and I've done it ever since like that. But he was like in a day, like actually from 8 to 9 p.m., you're not studying, you're not swimming, just like, and you're not sleeping, but just do something. Because he always said, like, doing things outside of these, like, swimming and school was important. But I didn't know really what that meant. I think Cal definitely told me that a lot, just like to take, we'll get to it, but like, do things for yourself as well that are fun. But at that point, I would say 2015-16, it was just focus mode, for sure. Before 15-16, were you also focus mode? I would say less. I mean, always academics but I think just more socially because swimming wasn't I didn't know if it was like really taking me anywhere so I I was definitely serious but I've always been a pretty serious person (laughs) especially in the pool um but a little bit more but yeah 2015-16 when I realized I actually had a shot I was like okay 
that like I'm going I'm going focus mode. <laughs> and in fifteen sixteen, what were you doing from eight to nine p.m.? Like, what were some of the things you do? Probably just watch Netflix, <laughs> just chill on the couch with my dog, <laughs> and watch Netflix or just like yeah, yeah. And, and through that planning of the week that you mentioned that you still do to this day. What does that look like? And when do you do it? Is it like on Sunday you plan the rest of the week or, or what do you it's do? It's been like a, I would say like learn from my mistakes. I would say I used to, I remember coming at Cal, like read every single word. I think every freshman is petrified and now I'm like, nah, <laughs> we're fine if I just skim through. But I think I've definitely learned to prioritize like friendships and social life because that has like, it helps me realize I'm more than just like a swimmer or just like academics or whatever. So I would say this year is a bit different just because I really prioritize that above anything else because, okay, this is my last year in America. Like, I need to make the best out of it and I'm never going to, like, I'm not going to see these people for so long or I'm never going to live in America, I think. I don't know what happens later on in life, but um, I would say the past, like, for the four, the first four years, I think it was super cool coming here because I saw, like, Kathleen Baker and, like, all these Abby Whitesell and they were, like, having fun outside of the pool and I was like, okay, if they're doing it, then I could do it. <laughs> and that taught me like, okay, there's academics and there's swimming, but having a social life and doing fun things is equally as important. Wow. No. Yeah, that's powerful. And before, again, we get into the <laughs> Olympics, when does Cal recruiting come that into year. it? After or before Olympics? After the Olympics. Okay, so let, let's get into Well, I started, I think it was a little before. I think I first started talking to my coach in 2016 about it. Um, because I knew that it just had to be something like done pretty early on. Um, but once I qualified for the Olympics in April, that's when I started getting emails and started getting recruited. And that's when I started thinking about it. So you got the emails, you weren't sending them. No, I okay. got them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was, I was all of a sudden swam like a really good time and that's how my name got out there. And I think USC was the first school to email me and I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Cause I know like Katinka Hasu, like a really famous swimmer, like she used to go there and a lot of other names and I knew the coach. Um, it's like, okay. And then I emailed them back and then I think word somehow spread and I got a lot of emails, but I actually do think that I'm the one who emailed Cal. I don't, don't quote me on that, but I, I remember starting to do research. I was like, okay, if this is actually something that I want to do, I need to look at like, what are the best schools academic wise? What are the best schools like swimming wise? And like cross cross reference those. And Cal definitely came out on top from that. Cause Missy Franklin, Natalie Kovlin, I was like, I want to go there. That's, that's where I should go. Um, and I think I was like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to email, see what happens. So, yeah. That's awesome. And yeah. uh, from an international perspective, you, did you always think about studying in the U S no, no, no. Oh, I, okay. it was, it was then when I got my first email, cause I think I realized that getting my bachelor's degree in the Netherlands was always going to be tough while swimming at such a high level, because it's just not, you don't swim for the university. The professors do not care that you're doing there's like it's your own fault that you can't make this exam um and i remember that you're starting to like look at options and like what i wanted to do and i was like and eh, the netherlands like this isn't great this isn't exactly like i could do maybe like spend seven years doing my bachelor's degree but that just wasn't what i wanted to do and then i got the email and i was like perfect like okay i want to go to america so yeah and how did you decide cal when you had Probably a good amount of options. Yeah, so after the Olympics, I flew to America by myself, which was petrifying, and visited five schools back-to-back. -back. And I think it was like USC, Arizona, Cal, Georgia, Stanford, stuff like that. And um, I, I think I was at Cal the least amount of time. I was here for like less than 24 hours. And I just like picked with a team. 
I love the idea of being like close to such an international city of San Francisco. I love the idea of swimming outside. <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay, this is just where I have to be. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. so awesome. Well, we can't jump over the Olympics. Yes. <laughs> so what was that experience like for you? It's in Rio that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a normal Olympics, especially because yes. <laughs> I've talked to many people no. that went to no. Tokyo. Um, and that's definitely special and unique. But in, in Rio, what was that experience like at that age, especially mm-hmm. uh, with those teammates taking me through that? I know you were in the 200 free and the 800 free relay, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Okay. So those are the two events that I swam. Um when I actually think about the Olympics, I don't, I didn't have the best experience. Um, I mean, it was incredible that I was there. I was 18 years old. I, I was just like the wide eyed, like puppy tail. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, I remember going to the dining hall and looking to my right and all of a sudden Usain Bolt was standing next to me. And I just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I do not belong here. I mean, walking around like the Olympic village and seeing like Federer and like Nadal and all these like the most diverse amount of people like you've ever seen like the tallest the shortest like the like the best of the best i was like this is so sick um but the dutch team itself didn't do very well it was the first time we didn't win a medal since 1992 in the pool and because of that there was just like bad vibes in the team bad vibes like from the coaching staff and um we actually got like sent home early because i mean now with covid that's kind of normal that once you're done like you get sent home but Back then in 2016, it wasn't like you were supposed to stay there the whole time until the closing ceremony, look at other sports. And they dubbed it, the the media dubbed it the loser's flight, which was kind of sad because <laughs> anyone without a medal was sent home because they were like, you're distracting. Like, we just need to send you home, even though like we were just in our rooms. Um, but yeah, I look back at it and there's some like just not the best memories. I didn't swim well either, which honestly I'm not surprised about because I was just so in awe of everything that was going on and so like my coach definitely like talked to me about it and prepared me and told me like how these things like work and I'd been to two international meets at this point Europeans so it wasn't world championships either so the Olympics was just like next level um but I was definitely it was a lot as an 18 year old yeah and I was like in the heat with the like Frederica Pellegrini she has the world record right now so on the change of free and I was like what am I I just had like, what am I doing here? Like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was an incredible experience and I'm like super proud that I went. Um, but I definitely left feeling unsatisfied and like wanting to go again um, because I wanted to have a better experience. So that's when I, afterwards I was like, okay, well 2020 it is now. So that's like, yeah, immediately I was like, okay, new cycle, I wanna go again. Cause I just wanted to, swim better at the olympics the next time that was the goal so yeah and yeah. and when i mean obviously the past olympics were right now and the people i have talked to that just went they all have different mentalities mm-hmm. some are reacting the same way you yeah. did in the sense of done next yeah. like new cycle let's get straight mm-hmm. into it others were like you know what i'm gonna take oh, yeah. a break I, <laughs> I know uh post-olympic is a big mental thing did you experience that at all? I think it helps that I had a new like goal in mind with America because right after I went on this America trip for a month and like traveled around. So I was super excited about being recruited and then making the decision to come to Cal. So I knew that year that this was my last year in Holland and that I had a whole new chapter ahead. So I think that really helped. But I definitely have experienced like the blues. I think this year, like I just stopped swimming officially. Um, 
So, which is still crazy, like sounds weird to say, but <laughs> um, I definitely get that. Yeah, I've, I understand it, but I, I didn't have it then because I, I was young, I was still really eager and I was like, okay, this is like just the beginning and I want to keep going. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And I mean, right away, because you came to Cal 20... 2017. All right. And in 2017, you did go to Worlds in Budapest. Yep. So you were still on the, the Worlds to Budapest was 2019, I think. World or world long course? Yeah, I think that was so. ni- that was nineteen. Yep, I oh. think it was the year before before pandemic. I went to European long course this summer in twenty eighteen. Huh. Some some bio got it wrong definitely. <laughs> well, um, that's what I in my memory. I came in twenty seventeen in August and then qualified for the European Championships the following year. Okay. So I had European Championships in Glasgow in Scotland the year after. Nothing in Budapest. That was the year after Budapest, yep, 2019. Well, regardless of what year it was or wasn't at this (laughs) point, (laughs) you come to Cal the the year after, new goals, new aspirations. Um, You don't really hit those blues, at least like you mentioned, yet. And you do come back to, like, representing, Mm -hmm. like, the Netherlands. Yes, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) I I was about to say it, and I'm like, nope, the Netherlands. (laughs) Yeah, so so you you do go back in that, and you're doing well in, in the 200 free and the 800 free relay. Again, you know right? what I just realized? Budapest was 2017. It was before I came to Cal. You were wrong. I was wrong. You're right. Budapest was the summer before I came to Cal. You were right. I was about to say to everyone watching, <laughs> right, I right, do my research right. right. I take Budapest pride. Budapest was 2017, and I actually did do very well that year. I made semifinals individually, so that was like the first time that I like made a final, like my or semifinals. But I was like, that was so cool. I was 16th in the world. I was like, this is awesome. So that year, I actually did pretty well. I was coming off of a high. I would say it's definitely a card because at that point people like started knowing my name. But I, I think I was so excited about that and like that I had just re- that I was realizing what I'd accomplished that year before. And I had America coming up, and I was like, okay, I'm life is great. So you were right. It was the year before I came. I to take Cal. a lot of pride yeah. in my research, and I was I looking was at wrong. it. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was looking Sorry. at it, and I was like. Oh, nope. No. But, 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 I mean, I can't be the one to tell you like, no, that's not what no, you you're did. Right. Budapest is twenty seventeen. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah, world championships. Yep, of okay. course. So. I was I, I was about to say, either the bio <laughs> had it wrong or something. It's I been a lot of years. I I, I mix them yeah. up. So yeah. I mean, I I can't tell you directly. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm. This is the first time we're meeting, yep. and I can't tell you like no, that's Your not what you did. Is wrong, bro. Yeah, no, I can't. But um, anyways, so 2017. That's before. Yes, before I came to come. And that's your first experience finals. At- yep, yep. That was so cool. That was sick. I remember um, I was in the last heat of the 200 freestyle that morning, and then immediately on the big scoreboard, they show the top 16, and I, fi- I qualified into the final or into the semifinals as 16th. And there was photos of me being like, like I couldn't, I was like, are you kidding? I remember looking at my coach, I was like, I did it. <laughs> so um, I'm, that was a really cool experience. And Hungary is a huge swimming country. They love their swimming. So it was the like crap like the most crowded pool I've ever seen and like they started like playing around with lights at pools and like turning off the lights and shows and my name came across the board with like I was like this okay this is so sick that's awesome. so that was awesome yeah that was a cool experience that's a great way to come into your Cal experience yes. as well <laughs> yep so you come into Cal you've never lived in the U.S. at nope. this point was the first time you came to visit or had you been here before I've been in America and like way as a baby because we have some friends because my dad lived in New York for a while so we have some family friends um but the after the Olympics in 2016 was like the first time I really like traveled around America so I would say 
I've been to America a few times, but really only seen it once for a couple of weeks. So not much experience. <laughs> was there any, I mean, you've, you can adapt, that is a fact, yes. but was there a culture shock at all? Yes, I would say so. I think it helps that I moved to California. I think it would have been a very different experience had I moved to Texas or Georgia or something like that. Um, it's hard to pinpoint what the culture shock is. I would say everything was bigger. Just Europe is a very small country. Like Holland is a small, I said it again. The Netherlands is a small country. I need to change that in my head, wow. The Netherlands is a small country, Amsterdam is tiny, and you bike everywhere, and now all of a sudden you have to like drive everywhere, and there's so many people, and I mean, Berkeley itself, I would say, is a culture shock for anyone who comes here if you're not used to it. Um, but Amsterdam and Berkeley are pretty similar because Amsterdam is also very open-minded, free speech, like all that, so that helped, I would say, but just, you know, coming, moving across the world, shock, I would say. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean... I was telling you, I've never been to Amsterdam, but yeah. I do know that it has a reputation of free speech yep. and it, how progressive it is. we're the first country who, le who legalized gay marriage and uh, soft drugs and stuff like that. So we are a pretty progressive country, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's that, but at the same time, it's college, it's the U.S., so, yeah. so there's definitely something different. Um, I I just posted something like before this because it's this was my first relatively normal spring semester. Yeah. Like, relatively, because even at the beginning of the semester, we were online. Yep. So I posted with that caption, and one of my roommates just comments, like, nothing is normal in Berkeley. And <laughs> it's like, yep, that is That's a, so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but luckily I had a normal freshman and sophomore year. Yep. So that was that was cool. Yeah. Take me through that experience, your, your freshman year. Oh, my year. gosh. I was so homesick. I, I was way more homesick than I thought I would be. I called my mom every single day. The first semester was rough. I think also coming into a team... Swimming had always been a super individual thing for me. My, I was swimming with eight people before this, and all of a sudden you're in a team of 25 girls um, with a pretty, you know, huge culture of excellence and a lot of requirements and norms and values and histories and traditions, and I was, I was overwhelmed, um, I think, as any freshman is, and living in the dorms and doing... I'm not sure I understand. I'm... Okay, watch. Thank you. Um... <laughs> We were just talking about Apple Watches. They're they're great, but they are funky. Us? This or, was Siri. No, I know that was Siri, but who was talking about Apple Watches? You or... Weren't we talking about that with the notifications? Oh, beforehand. Yes, beforehand. Yes. yes. So, fun yeah. fact, the only people that has happened to here were both women swimmers. Like mid-podcast, something comes up. Oh, okay. All right, we got to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. Um, no worries. Anyway, um... I think the dorm experience was a big thing, like living with someone in a room and doing laundry and all that and living like nine hour time difference from your family is that was rough. Um, but then I came back my spring semester and that's when I started like enjoying it a lot more and just like really ex like grateful for the experience. It just took a couple months to like get adjusted and get used to it all. So yeah. that second semester, a lot of people say that at least on my team, because yeah. in the fall we're in season, the spring yeah. you're not. The, is the spring when you're usually getting used to things? I would say so. Yeah, I think the full semester for us is like grind mode. Like, it's just day in, day out, like tough. And when the spring is when we go to training camp in Hawaii. So that always helps. And that's when the fun meet starts and when Pac-12s and um, like Stanford dual meets and, you know, USC dual meets. And that's when like the fun stuff happens. So that's always like if you, if you get through the full semester and then the like, then I think the pressure goes up for sure. But it's also when the fun like more comes up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I 
I asked that because since this was my first spring semester yeah. and it's honestly the first year that I feel like I belong at Cal yeah. and that I feel normal and it's yeah. like, yep, I, I think that's what I've been missing. Yeah, I mean, we've, we don't have like a off season, unfortunately. I think with swimming, it's like so year round, um, but it is like when the cool things happen of like conference and NCAAs. So that's when I experienced all those things for the first time. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, That's awesome. And in terms of the student athlete balance, mm-hmm. With academics, um, first off, like how was that experience like in terms of the language, which you already knew how to speak English, obviously, but just the academic yeah. culture of student athlete was that weird for you at first? Um, yeah, I would say though I've always like been adjusted to combining academics and swimming because I've wanted to do those both at, like well, but I did have like a tutor my first semester here who taught me more like academic English because I'd only like speaking English versus writing an essay and like preparing and knowing the ins and outs of English like academic stuff so the ASC definitely helped me with that but um, I would say within pretty quickly I got the hang of it Um, and I think it's you know you come to college and all of a sudden you can choose your own classes I love that like okay I can choose what I want to do I'm not being forced to take whatever Um, so that was I mean it was hard and I definitely in the beginning would read every single sentence and like I would have to come prepared because in my head I've always because of the language barrier I would like over prepare just so that I wouldn't like not know a certain word in that language or whatever um so I definitely way overdid it my freshman year and then sophomore year I was like okay I can I can take it a little chill (laughs) I can take it a little easier and still be fine so yeah and did you always want to do global studies yeah I did okay yeah cool I so I've always wanted to do like something with international relations global Berkeley, like it has international relations in the political science department, but I didn't want to study political science because then I would also have to do like American politics. And I was like, um, interesting. But I mean, Trump was president at the time. So I was like, okay, there's a lot going on, which is interesting. But I was always, I just wanted to focus on Europe, um, even though I was in America. I definitely took like classes that taught me about America and like American history and stuff like that. But then I found out about global studies and it was peace and conflict studies and international relations. That's the combination. I was like, perfect. That's what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. Cause even in poli like, which is what I'm doing right now, yeah. I think that like people don't realize how little of a role the president has in American politics. It's the face, yeah. but it's not like yeah. the main person yeah. doing everything and making decisions. Yeah. But at the same time, that's, always the examples they use right now in my classes like it's always the difference between trump and biden and it's it gets so annoying right now so and i i didn't want to be as theory heavy because i think policy is pretty like theoretical for at least from like what the research that i did and global studies is much more we're going to take the issues and like of the world or whatever historical contemporary and then like how do we what went wrong how do we change it what can we do better like in the future that's kind of what i would say global studies is and i was like okay it's much more like real to like day-to-day like examples and I was like I don't want to be as like theory heavy so that's why I chose global studies yeah so you're more into the policies yeah I would say policies but also like more the NGO like type of world like or like the international like the foreign affairs like world stuff like that um I just didn't want to know about like certain political like theories as much but I've definitely taken like some poly like public policy classes as well yeah okay yeah. interesting yeah. i feel like if we divide it into three categories of why how what yep you're probably more into the how part like how things go yes. about yeah and yep. i'm more on the why which is the yep. theory exactly philosophical yep. part that's 
that's exact. That's perfect. That's a very good <laughs> description of that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, that's awesome. And adjusting to the team, you said like you you learned from people like Abby, for mm-hmm. example, of wow, they can have fun or things yep. like that. How was that experience as well as with um, NCs, for example, or Pac twelves, like the difference I've seen with some international students versus domestic, like just growing up here, people dream of being college swimmers their entire lives. They dream of, oh, Pac-12, NCs, go to Cal, (laughs) things like that. How long did it take you to understand that? It took me a while. I think I I I first really understood that NCs in 2018. Um, I, I mean, I was definitely a freshman. My team also really, you know, treated me like a freshman, as they should. I think that's super normal because... Back then, I was like, ah, I know so much. Like, as most freshmen come in, they're, like, thinking they know so much, but we really don't. Because, you know, going, swimming in a team is super different than swimming for yourself or even, like, swimming for your country, at least in the Netherlands, because it's pretty individually based. Um, so I had to learn what, like, being in a team, what that meant. And I think you have, especially people who come to Cal, they're all probably the best of the best, and everyone, like, comes together. And that's, I think, why it was important to, like, be treated like a freshman, because even though, yeah, I'd been to the Olympics, like, I'd never been to NCAA, so I had no idea what that meant, um, but yeah, going, I think my NCAAs in 2018 were in Ohio, if I want to, if I say that correctly, um, and just, like, how you're not swimming for yourself, like, you're swimming to score points for your school and for your team, I love that, because it, like, you're doing it for someone other than yourself, you're doing it for something much bigger than yourself, and I, love that so I remember like I lost my voice day two and just like screaming I've never been so invested in someone else's swim and I was like that's so cool and even like training it took me a while to understand this but like training with the people who in the end like score the points for you too it's like okay we're pushing each other to be the best we can so that in the end we're all like scoring the points for each other and like at the end of the day like for the team and for like the legacy of cow women's swim as well yeah yeah uh, I think it was two, three days ago, Hugo Gonzalez was here. Yep. And he was taking me through his 200, or no, sorry, his 400 IM, mm. like the record he just set right yeah, now in the, at NCs. And he was telling me like how when he was going through the different strokes, he was thinking of the guys that he was practicing with. That's and like awesome. he was like just thinking, these guys made me better. It's yep. thanks to them that I'm here. Because yep. obviously with the four different strokes at the same time, yep. different groups, yep. etc. But he was just thinking like with breasts, he was like, these guys yep. are the ones that pushed me. And I wanted, he, he, like he's saying this, he yep. said, I wanted to show them how much they've helped me get here That's and that my result is thanks to them. And I was like blown away yep. by that. And it's the same thing I've you're saying. I definitely felt that because me swim the 500 freestyle, which is a pretty grueling event. <laughs> I mean, nothing compared to the mile. Um, but I did not want to do the 500. I was convinced I was a 100 freestyler, 200 freestyler. But she kind of turned me more to 200, 500. And those long distance sets oh my god the the grueling so you know during a 500 that was a hundred percent for my teammates and a hundred percent for the people who had done all those grueling sets with me and they were the people who were swimming next to me and I was like cheering me on by the side so I did that for them absolutely on every 500 yeah (laughs) yeah I did notice yeah I mean you were obviously in the relays as you have been you were in the 200s 100 but then the 500 came in and that was interesting yeah so that more really came about my sophomore year I would say I didn't yeah I didn't qualify for that my uh I did summit but it wasn't good at pack 12s yeah yeah so but I started getting good I think in that my sophomore year um and then doing even more of whenever someone would hear their name like xyz you're with Robin it would be like oh shit 
because they knew I would they would be a long distance set. So, oh, got it, got so it. I was like, I don't want to swim with Darwin. <laughs> you were the yeah, negative yeah, connotation. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and there and it was same with me with other people. So it was kind of like a circular thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, kind of cool that you get to experience like that individual set yeah, with others. Yeah, definitely. Sort of yeah. Well, at Pac Twelves, I mean. If my research is right, I, I again. Mean, I, you pride yourself on your research. <laughs> Pac-12s, you were third in the 100, 200, 500 mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. So your 500 wasn't too bad. Like a third at Pac-12s for your first time is Okay, I don't good. remember that. But okay. uh, that was already five years ago. But yeah, yeah, I guess so. I guess I was good. I think at that point, I didn't know how painful the event was because I think it was like the second time I saw it. So I just kind of went for it. That helps. Um, I did swim at NCAAs, but I think I started getting like way better at it like time-wise my sophomore year yeah, yeah. yeah. and even at NC's like you set some pretty good points you had a fifth place in the 200 free and then bronze in the 800 relay yeah. Yeah. which was awesome and you won the 800 relay uh at, or you were part of a team that won yeah. the relay yeah. at Pac-12 so mm-hmm. that was a good start for yeah. you at the end of the season you receive a coach's award I'm not sure what where that comes from or what it's about but I think it's just anyone who the coaches think of like shown like great spirit or like dedication or have improved a lot or I don't really know what the exact factors are but I won it with my freshman roommate we won it together it was like oh the two international roommates and I was we were like ah that's so cool <laughs> so yeah that was pretty awesome yeah. so it's a good start for it was you it's a great freshman year yeah, yeah I would say it was tough the first semester but the second semester was great worth it yeah, so you're, you're on the rise again um in your swimming career especially as you mentioned after that chapter with the first cycle of the Olympics what happens next in terms of, let's see, I mean, obviously it's your sophomore year, same events, you're scoring well again internationally, where, where are things at there? Um, so I did European long course championships in 2018 that summer, and it was hard, like, coming back to the Dutch team after, like, being gone for a year and just kind of adjusting to that and swimming with the national team again, and that, I think, was a lot of, like, adaptability. I was, like, going from America back to the Netherlands and then in August back to America again, so that was a lot of, like, change. Um, but my sophomore year, I, I loved my sophomore year because 2019 NCAAs, I think, is my favorite meet I've ever swum at. So yeah. Take me through it. Yeah, so we, o- we almost won. We lost by 12 points uh, to Stanford. And Stanford at this point had won, I think, four years before that. Like, they were the, like, the team to beat. At NCAAs? At NCAAs, yep. So, and I remember we were in the warm-down pool and people would be like, because they just wanted us to beat Stanford. So it was very much Stanford versus Cal at this point. And um, it was in Texas, and it's known to be a pretty fast pool. A whole bunch of alumni came. So that was like, my dad was there. It was like a really cool experience. And um, we set the school record in the 800 freestyle that time. And that's when I saw my best time. I did rip my suit about 10 minutes before that. So I've never been so nervous. And I've never had as much anxiety. I think it helped me like get out of my head and just like, go for it <laughs> um and then that I think the final the 200 freestyle was in the final with Abby Weitzel and Katie McLaughlin so there was three of us in that it was and then we lost by 12 points which was really sad but in our hearts we won so <laughs> yeah that, that's awesome but let's I mean take me through that suit situation oh because I know how big of a deal tech suits yes, are and things yeah. like that for it to rip oh 10 minutes before that's crazy yeah. what was that like I was in the uh, locker room and it was a pretty warm locker room and Speedo had just come out with a new suit and I stupidly didn't try it on beforehand because I was like, eh, it'll be fine. Never do that again. I now always try it on beforehand, but I ripped it and I was like, shoot. Like, 
I was like, my, my race is in like 20 minutes. So someone ran across the pool, got an old suit. Like I had four people standing around me. Like, cause I was the, I, I was the leading person. I was like the first leg. So it was like, I, I had to be there. And like four people like jumping me into the suit, like grabbing my butt, just like, there was no more boundaries. It was just like everyone trying to get me into the suit and like running across and we made it on time and then we did really well. So yeah. yeah. I, I mean, same thing, Kyle Millis was here and he took me through like the tech suit thing and yeah. how difficult it is to put on. It takes forever, yeah. And especially Speedo keeps like, they so they came out with a new suit which was just tighter and it had different like layers. So the layer like got stuck on one and then I pulled the opposite layer and that just like, that's how it ripped. And oh my goodness, I was, I was petrified. So I swam that in a pretty old suit, which is like normally you're supposed to like in a brand new like, it glides better it's tighter whatever but I swam that in a really old one because I was like I can't get into a tight one right now um so that was kind of funny wow yeah <laughs> I, I didn't know it was that close between you guys and Stanford uh yeah. especially at NC's that says uh, a lot between the rivalry and things <laughs> yeah. but I mean that that's cool that you had yeah. that experience yeah. and with the tech suit especially yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's a funny story now to look back it's at it's funny now I can laugh about it now then I was not laughing at all I was like I'm done for it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we did really well. We got second on that also right behind Stanford. So that was sad. But, you know, and that, I think that me, Abby also like hurt her elbow. So she swam like a meet in like a taped elbow, but we still won the 400 freestyle relay. I was a morning swimmer of that. So that was, it was just a super, super cool meet. Yeah. 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 I feel like uh, I've brought this up a lot, but in terms of references, Isabel Ayu is also here yeah. and she took me through that race oh, and yeah. how was Abby like, was injured yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah. So... Yeah. I don't think I've ever yelled as loud as I have. Like, that to me really encapsulated, like, what coming to Cal was for, like, the team spirit. Like, it, at that point, I think the team, like, became my family. Because, I mean, it sounds super cheesy, but I was like, okay, yeah, this is why I'm here. This is exactly why I chose to come to Cal. Like, this is who I'm doing it for. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, like, the thing you said, you guys lost by 12 points, which... For those that may not know, that's nothing. Not, it's nothing. nothing. Like, like I, it's not that many. Like, it's nothing. So it was, like, one person maybe placing two points higher or something like that or places higher. So it's, like, it's, that's minuscule. Yeah. So yeah. that hurt us. <laughs> no, it, but, yeah. it, it is yeah. one, one person. Like, yeah. from the little I have watched and how the points mm -hmm. work, it's nothing. Like, it's really I think, nothing. though, I, I believe first place gets 20 points. I believe that's how it is because then it goes really down. Really bad. I don't know this, and I'm a fifth year. <laughs> but I I do know like relays are twice as many points. So like a relay yeah. position is super. So even if it, one relay had scored one place higher, like that would have been way above. So it's a very tiny difference. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that was the case, and you guys were second on that, did were you uh, school record? Yes. But that would have been the difference. How did you feel? I mean, I remember the night before, so fr Saturday is always the last day on Friday night, we were sitting in a team room and we were like, guys, we can actually do this. Like it all came down to the last day and like how that was going. I was like, shit. And Mr. Knowlton came because he was like, okay, you guys could win. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've never been so nervous. But honestly, none of us were upset that we didn't win because it, it I mean, it would have been really cool. It would have been like the chair on top of the cake, but it was... The experience itself was so fun and we like really just did it for each other that whether we were first or second in the end didn't completely matter. So yeah, I think we definitely would have loved to be first. We were even, the men did this that year, they won and they all got bear tattoos and we were like talking about that too, like that we would get the tattoos and stuff like that. But um, I, 
I'm not that upset about that anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. didn't know that. I know they have, like, bears on their backs, yeah. but, they, but they all got it together. Yeah, so all the men who won that year. And so I think a couple of them got it, whoever won this year as well. Like, I know the assistant coach got it too. So, yeah, that's a thing. It's kind of like the Olympic rings. At least in Cal, I have no idea if other schools do this. But for us, like, with swimming, it's like, okay, if you win. I mean, I know there's like, people who have the bear tattoo without having one, but I was just like, okay, we win, we do it. So, yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in terms of the result, it's interesting that you bring that up because what you do control is the effort. You don't control the results exactly. at a certain extent. You can't control what other people do, especially with swimming. Like, you are in your own lane, and that's always what, you know, the coach is like, stay in your own lane, do your own race. Like, we can't control what other people do, like how I throw a ball or whatever. Like, it doesn't that – we don't have that. So, in the end, we knew we did our absolute best. So, yeah. That's awesome that, yeah. that you have that perspective yeah. and that you appreciate it that way because it would be – I understand it from a competitive sense, like, you don't appreciate it, but that's still an amazing season that you should be grateful for, yeah. because if you can't be thankful for things like that, exactly. you can't be grateful for what's next. Completely agree. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like, from what you've mentioned so far, your favorite meet, yep. a peak right before we get uh. to the interview phase <laughs> of COVID. Yep. Junior year, you do have Pac-12s. Yep. And... I mean, at Pac-12s, you place better than, than you had. Or, I mean, pretty much the same third yeah. place as fresh, freshman year, and you did the same thing, mm-hmm. third, fifth, eighth. Yeah. Um, freestyle again. Things are looking good. It was looking great. We, our team was on fire. Like, we, I thought we would have won that year, and I, it's really easy to say that now, and it didn't happen. But we were all, I don't, I, like, we knew like it was Abby's last year and Abby was a huge point scorer. So it was like, okay, it's kind of now or never. And we were doing great. We had Isabel, Ivy, like, I mean, we just had, we were on fire and I was swimming really well. I remember Terry being like, what's, what's happening to you? Like, how are you swimming so well? And then we were in the weight room a couple days before NCAAs were even supposed to happen. And then Terry was like, yeah, it's not happening. And we had like 20 girls just like te- crying because we were so stoked about it. And it was painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was rough. So, yeah. What was your personal experience? I saw that, I saw at Pac-12's, your senior year, post-interview when, when you did win, yes. um, <laughs> that you mentioned that you were back home in yeah. Amsterdam. So I actually, I went to Florida for my, one of my best friends, she has a house there and they had a backyard pool. So I was like, I'm going to go there because maybe we'll come back. And I was like, I don't want to leave the States because if I leave, then it might be hard to come back. So I actually, I was supposed to go for four days. I ended up staying there for seven weeks and then flew from Florida back home. So I had like a tiny like hand luggage suitcase for about 10 months because I came back to Berkeley in December. So I left in March and came back in December at the end of December. But um, I ended up after seven weeks, Robin, like it's not going to start back up. You might as well go home now. Um, It took a while for me to be able to swim in the Netherlands. Like it was, everything was shut. And um I finally was able to, like, in a pretty elite group, we had pool time, which was incredible. And then the Olympics were postponed, and it was like, okay, it's next year. And our trials are in December of 2020. And I was like, okay, well, if I go back to America, I don't know if I can come back to the Netherlands or if I'm going to have to quarantine for 10 days without swimming. So then together we decided that I would just stay in Amsterdam and train until my Olympic trials and then come back. So I stayed the full of my senior year. Fall of your senior year, yep. yes, 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 yep. yes. So I was gone. 
for a while. <laughs> Training wise, yep. you mentioned that you were with the elite group, but other than that, how did that go for you? Yeah, so I ended up not swimming with the national team because I hadn't qualified for Worlds the year before that. So technically at this point, I'm off the national team, which was tough. It was like a new, and I'd only missed Worlds by like a tenth of a second, but swimming is black and white. So that's how it goes. And because of COVID, like it kind of extended that way and I had no, pro- no way to prove myself otherwise. Um, so I was training with a club team which was a new, like a new experience for me, but incredible group, incredible coach who immediately just like took me under his wing and was like, yep, we're going to figure this out. I just did his training, which was very different because in the Netherlands are much more about like technique and slow and long. So all of a sudden I was swimming like three times as much again. And I was like, it was a big adjustment. Um, and I was definitely missing the team and I was doing classes online with a nine hour time difference, um, with professors who weren't always very helpful. So that was a bit of a challenge, but came back at the end of December and was happy to be back. <laughs> and with the international cycle, did you end up going to the qualifying stage I did. or no? So I ended up going to the Olympic trials in December, did not do well, um, which it was upsetting, but I didn't think that I was going to do that great. Like there were just so many different factors. Like we had someone in the family like pass away and we had um, – like a, a school nine hour time difference, it just like wasn't ideal and I wasn't feeling great. So I didn't expect it, but it was like upsetting. Um, but then when I came back in January, I wanted to immediately kind of onto the next goal. I wanted to qualify for European championships in 2021. So I ended up doing a time trial in America at Cal because I didn't want to have to fly all the way back to Holland to do that. And the whole, oh my goodness, see, this is ridiculous. <laughs> It's just easier, okay? Um, it's fine. I, I won't do it again. It was just funny. It was just funny. So I ended up doing a time trial with the whole team standing on the side of the pool. And I, for the first time in a very long time, had swam a good time again. And I just burst out in tears and qualified for the European Championships, So which at Budapest again. So that yeah. was May 2021 is when the European Championships were again. Okay, so, so let me... Yeah, unpack t- that. Yeah, un- unpack it real quick. So... Obviously, a lot of things going on for everyone during yep. the fall and the summer and everything. Yep. Um, so you weren't like 15, 16 when you were that focused, like yep. tunnel vision. You, yep. you didn't have that anymore? Not as much. I I think Berkeley definitely opened up my eyes. I think it started telling or showing me that I was also super interested in other things. And um, that doesn't mean I like took swimming less seriously. I definitely took it just as seriously. But it you know, I'd made the Olympics at this point, like I definitely wanted to do it again. That was 100% the goal. But I also knew that I was all of a sudden in a different training environment than I had been for the past three and a half, two and a half years. And that's not very normal to just like switch up your training environment that quick before wanting to qualify for the Olympics. So that would have been a big feat if I had accomplished that. But it was upsetting, definitely that I didn't make it. But to some degree, like immediately to a month and a half after making European championships, like that was cool. And like, that was kind of the next goal. And then the next goal was something well at European chat. So I kept like just refocusing my goal. And I think that's important is just like taking it for what it is. I was definitely upset that I didn't make it, but then kind of quickly moving on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah and I like what you said about Berkeley as well, like it showed you that you're interested in other yeah. things that you're really good at other things yeah. as well. So I think it's like an important Point. I think everybody went through some sort of identity crisis yep. during the Definitely. pandemic. Yep. Um, but finding out that you're more than just, just a swimmer. Than the swimmer. Yeah. yeah, I think Berkeley has definitely told me that. Like, yeah. you know, you go to like parties at home and it's like, oh, you're Robin the swimmer. I'm like, yeah. But now I'm like, I'm much more like Berkeley 
just the classes I've taken, the things I've done, like the resume I've built, like it's, I'm much more than that. And I mean, we'll come to this, but that's, I think it's helped me come to terms with wanting to be done and just like being ready for the next step is like, I know I have done other things. I can do other things. And Berkeley definitely like helped me with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's touch base on that for sure afterwards. But with the time trial, that was like here in Berkeley. Yes. How yep. does that work? Because you said that your teammates were right there, like watching. Yes, yeah, so they the guys just did a duel meet against Stanford, and the referees or like the officials walked down to Legends pool because we have two pools. They so they walked down to Legends because it was a fifty meter course pool that I had to do it in, and we had to film it to have like evidence. It had to be like official. The official like had to like signature everything, and then um, I Abby Weitzel was incredible in summit with me, so that I would have someone to like race, and so she took it out really fast so that I would go with her. And then I, like, touched, saw the time that I just, like, made it. And it was the fastest time I'd swam since uh, qualifying for the Olympics in 2016. Wow. So that, to me, was like, okay, maybe I can still do this. Because I'd kind of, like, been a bit of a dip, like, long course, at least, like, time-wise. Um, hadn't come close to the time that I swam when I qualified for the Olympics. And I was like, okay. Like, it gave me a lot of hope again. And the fact that the whole team, like, they were running the whole 200 meters, like, with me and, like, going like that. Like, I... I was doing it for them as well. And the fact that they were there with me, that made all the difference. Yeah. That's so special. I, I'm just imagining it's, that scene it right was now. Cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. That's yeah, awesome. That. Another thing like that I learned from Ugo yep. was just how situational yep. everything is. You mentioned that that's your fastest time since the Olympics. Mm-hmm. You could swim that time NCs, Pac-12s, yep. Yep. Olympic qualifiers, yep. etc. And that's when I understood the formula of success equals time or no not time preparation times like just the moment mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. and the, it's okay so success is when opportunity meets preparation that's what i was yeah. trying to say yeah. i've never understood it until you said yeah. that and until you said that right yeah. now because he was taking me through europeans as well and the olympics yeah, in tokyo <laughs> yeah we okay. saw each other there <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. he told me that his fastest time of this past summer was actually in a meet in Barcelona. And he said, that time would have put me fifth in the world, but nobody cared because it was that. I like to say that swimming is magic because there are times when I felt like invincible and so fast and then I come to the meet and then I'm a nobody or when I feel absolutely terrible and have not slept all week and then I swim at best time. So uh, there's been like, it's, it's been so up and down and I've come to learn First of all, that there's so many ways that lead to, road that lead to Rome, like that saying. I, I for a very long time was struggling why I wasn't swimming that time that I swam in the April twenty sixteen when I qualified for the Olympics and was trying to like exactly copy that. Like, what was I doing then? What was I eating? I was trying to like really, basically copy and paste, but that doesn't work. So it, I, it took me a long time to realize that I stopped looking for the needle in the haystack. Like, you, you're never gonna find the exact. You're not gonna have the exact same factors, you're in a different country, you're older, you've gone through puberty, you've, you're have you in a new like academic rigorous environment, like there's so many different factors and you can't just copy and paste that from six years ago. So it took me a long time to accept that and be okay with maybe I won't ever swim that time again because that time definitely put me up in the world ranking list for sure and I was like, okay, this is the beginning and then I'm just going to keep going. But, you know, getting to the top is one thing but staying at the top is a whole nother thing. And I've definitely come to learn that, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's yeah. that's definitely very special, especially with, like, the Rome thing. Yeah. Um, again, another person that has been here was Bjorn, and yeah. it's, that's another story yeah. right there, right? Yeah. So 
that is, yeah, I, I've learned that from you guys yeah. as well. And it's, it's yeah. crazy to think that I've tried doing the same thing in the past. Something works out just like you copy paste does not work. Yeah. No. So I've, I think that's also like, I would always have the same like warm up routine and always the same warm down routine. I think, how about you like see how you feel that day and then see how much you want to warm up. It doesn't always have to be 1200 meters with the exact same like thing. I think you become a little superstitious. It's like, okay, I did that and I swam really well. So I have to do that again, but it doesn't always work that way. So is it some sort of OCD for you? I think it is for me. Uh, a little asking. bit. Yeah. And I think I've become, I used to be super superstitious as well that my room had to be super tidy when I left to the pool and just like certain like stupid things like that and I've learned to let that go because I'm like Robin there's so many other factors your health like how you've slept what you've eaten like how much school is a factor at that point like there's a million different things at play yeah with how you're gonna swim so yeah well that that is a very important lesson that I've been trying to deal yeah. with as well in my life because I'm very OCD like yeah. as well yeah. um so interesting yeah. going into your senior year you get your first Pac-12 championship. Yeah, which was, <laughs> that was so cool. <laughs> take me through that. I mean, yeah. you're on the rise again. Yeah. And just from what you're saying right now, first time we're meeting, yeah. you sound a bit more excited about it, like yeah. you're having fun. Yeah, yeah. so I I think it took me, you know, you kind of miss what you don't have anymore. And I kind of found a, re, like a renewed appreciation for Cal and what it was because I was gone and I didn't have physical therapists or doctors or academic staff or tutors or like anything at my disposal and I came back and I was like wow Cal this environment is incredible and like I always knew that but I think it took me being gone for 10 months to kind of realize that again um and I came back and we I was just so grateful to be back that I was just having fun um and then we won Pac-12s which was so cool like as a team um we kind of knew it was our shot because a lot of people in Stanford, they redshirted or were taking time off for the Olympics or something like that. So a lot of their superstars weren't there. So we were like, okay, this is our shot and we have to take it. And it kind of started off rough. Like we weren't doing as well as we wanted to and huddled us together. She's like, you guys, like, this is it. Like, come on, <laughs> you can do it. And I was a captain at that point too. So I was like, okay, I really, I want this to happen right now. And it was very much like a team goal we said that from the beginning even though you know I joined on zooms and stuff like that like I knew that that's what we wanted um and the fact that that happened as well and winning my first and only <laughs> but you know individual title at Pac-12s in that interview I did say like it, it was a long time coming because I'd finished in the top three every single time on the tune in the 200 freestyle and the last lap during that event I knew that I like was gonna win because I didn't see really anyone next to me and I was like this is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Well, you had a lot of points there. First place in the 200 free, second in the 100 free, fourth in the 500, and then first in the four, yep. 400 and 800 yep. uh, relay. Yep. So. Yeah, that was a magical meet. Like, I would say my two favorite meets ever are the 2019 NCAAs and Pac-12s of 2021. Yeah. Those two meets together. Um, we just also, we had so much fun. Like, we were just goofing around as a team, and I think that that showed that we were just, like, having fun and just joking around and then when go time was it was like serious obviously but we we were just having fun and that's I think I've definitely learned that that's when I swim the best so yeah, yeah. that's awesome and it's uh, something I'm personally dealing with right now the having fun part and yeah. letting go and it's a yeah, lesson it's that it's hard <laughs> it's well, yeah. hard yeah because I think as like athletes at such a high excellent environment we want to be able to control everything and we can't so I think and even like 
I know that I have that I swim the best when I have fun, but you can't force it either. Like there's certain times like NCAA's after that was a pretty disappointing NCAA's and I think we wanted to copy paste again from Pac 12s to NCAA's, it didn't work. And we were trying to force it and like make it happen just rather than just like letting it happen and see what, what came out of it. So that was yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like I was mentioning, I've obviously had a lot of struggles yeah. coming in my first three years right now. Like my next yeah. three potentially yeah. are like my I'm I'm at the start right now yeah. and it's the same thing. We have a new head coach right now mm-hmm. and talking with him it's like I just wanna have fun. Yep. Like that's that is most, all I have in mind. Right most now. important, yep. And I think, you know, as I was saying, like the people who were on my team, they're the ones who like told me that that you know, and it, it's experience as well. Like Pac twelves, we were just goofing around and we won. So <laughs> I mean it doesn't always work, but it worked at that point. So What yeah. advice would you give to be able to get into that happy zone when competing? Ooh, I would say, like, know what, who you're doing it for and, like, why you're doing it, knowing your why. I think that's, like, the foundation. And then just, like, being surround, like, surrounding yourself by the people you want to do it for and, like, the people you've been training with and just, like, you know, trusting in the process and trusting in the work you've put in beforehand and just, like, not trying to overdo it and control at that exact moment and knowing that the work is done and all you can do now is just, like, enjoy the fact that you can show to the rest of the world, like, okay, we've worked so hard for this and now we're going to prove it to you guys so i was yeah that's kind of the mentality we took that week i would say yeah awesome that's that's awesome and it definitely helps i think yeah. just to put things into perspective definitely. so yep. cool yep. nc's was that your last nc's or did you go this year i didn't go this year okay that's so it a, was another story but yeah that was my last nc's yeah how was that like you said it was yeah. disappointing it so. was disappointing yeah i think it was hard coming off from, like, a high of Pac-12s and then going into NCs. I can't exactly put my finger on, like, what happened that meet still, but it just wasn't our meet. And, like, we still did good. We were fourth overall, which, you know, was great. We had, at that point, like, the longest running streak of being top four 25 years, I want to say, something like that. So that was cool, but I think we just had really high expectations and kind of vaulted under those. Like, I, we just really wanted to do well, and I think we just put too much pressure on ourselves. No. Yeah. The decision of the fifth year, how did that happen? When did you? Yeah, I decided this when I was in January, February, just coming back uh, from being gone for so long. And I was like, I have lost 10 months. I have the opportunity to stay another year. I'm going to do it. Cool. Uh, It was super easy decision. Yeah. And what was your mentality going into it? athletically and socially academically we've talked about that a bit so um I would say I wanted to focus more on academics and less on swimming and I'm not saying like focus less on swimming but just not like take it as seriously because I kind of had been toying around with the idea like do I actually want to go professionally um in my mind I had always wanted to go professional but for the first time I was like maybe I don't and maybe it's okay if I don't because it was kind of always like that's that's it like swimming 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 And as I was saying, like, Berkeley opened up my eyes to, like, a lot of my other interests. And um, I was, I would say that's when I hit a bit of a blue was the fall of my fifth year. Because I was like, I'm done in a year. What am I going to do next year? Like, I was trying to figure out, do I keep swimming? Where do I do a master's degree? I knew I wanted to do a master's degree, but I didn't know, do I stay in America? Do I go back to Europe? Like, there were just so many questions. And we had a whole different team with 14 freshmen. And I was a captain. And there was just a lot of people who didn't really know with COVID you had sophomores and freshmen who didn't really know about the traditions and like there were so many new people like over half the team was like new basically and I was one of the veterans I was there for a longer time so it was up to me to like teach them that and there was just a lot of focus on that which 
I gladly did and wanted to do, but it was a lot. Um, but I definitely wanted to use it as like a victory lap and have fun and do different things. And I wanted to write a thesis and just like things like that and be like, I want to make sure I use the last year of Berkeley in the best possible way I can. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's break down a lot of what mm-hmm. you just said. And especially because completely jumped over this 2021 Budapest was right after that. Uh, yes, it was. Yes. How was that experience like for you? It was, it was okay. I didn't do that great either. Um, I think I've, at that point, I really felt like I had something to prove. Like I wanted to prove to the Dutch Federation that I should be on the national team, that I, even though I didn't make the Olympics, that they shouldn't forget about me. And it's like hard when you're on the other side of the world to like keep putting yourself out there. And I knew that Europeans was like the shot to do that. Um, and I didn't do that great, but again, I think I was like, okay, I'm not swimming that great, but I'm going to have fun because I'm here. And at that point, Bjorn was there, Hugo was there, Emma was there, like there were, Alicia was there. There were so many like Cal people. And that to me was super cool. Like I had my past experience of like Europeans and then all of a sudden like Cal people at this meet and I was like, this is so cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot very restricted still because of COVID, like no spectators, like stuff like that. So it was a difficult meet, but, and, you know, in May, so it was kind of like in the middle of like academic stuff still. So, um, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the best. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that made it difficult, especially like coming into my fifth year, I was like, okay, swimming, I'm not on the national team. How do I, do I still want to like keep trying to prove myself to the, like the Dutch Federation and I decided that I didn't as much now, so, and that I'm, like, okay with calling that for what it is, and coming to terms with the fact that I have had an incredible career, that I've, like, made the Olympics, and I might not have, like, swam well there, but I still, like, have the Olympic rings tattooed on my body, and, like, I need to remind myself that, like, I've done that, and even though I've not accomplished maybe, like, every single goal I set out for myself, I accomplished a lot of them, but I think it's, like, it took a long time realizing that, okay, even if I had made the Olympics, maybe I wouldn't have been happy unless I made a final. And then it's like, you're not happy until you make a medal. And then it's bronze and it's not gold. Like, I feel like as athletes, we always want to obtain the highest goal possible, no matter what we think is possible. So I think I've just had to come to terms with like being proud of what I have achieved, even though it's not every single goal I've set out for myself. So this is something I really wanted to talk about. And there's still some things from Europeans that I want to ask but I want to follow yeah. up on this. The rings tattoo, for mm-hmm. example. Again, there's been a couple of people mm-hmm. that have been here with that tattoo. Mm-hmm. To what point or to what extent is that an identity crisis in and of itself? Because once again, I need to point this out with every single one of my guests. I don't have that tattoo and I probably never will. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. right? But from an outsider's perspective, I feel like it defines you to a certain extent, right? Like the title of Olympian, the tattoo is there forever. Like to what point is that an identity crisis with the post-Olympics, even if it is until right now, or like taking on a new stage of your life? Obviously, it's going to be part of your identity forever. But at the same time, how do you realize like I'm so much more than that and like a final or reaching for more and more like that's not who I am? I definitely doubted whether I wanted the tattoo because I was like, well, that really defines me as Robin the summer. And I, at that point, I already struggled with like when people, when my parents would like introduce myself, like this is Robin, she's the swimmer. I'm like, more than that. Like I'm, I'm someone else too, but 
I think it, I only got it like a couple months after because I decided, I couldn't decide where to get it. I ended up getting it on my ankle, like down here by my foot, like right there. Oh, nice. Because um, nice. I wanted it to not be super obvious. And now like when I wear shoes, like you can't see it. So I wanted it to be, I just didn't know whether I wanted to define myself and stamp myself as like Robin the swimmer. But then again, in the months after following, like so many people were like, wow, you went to the Olympics. And even though the experience wasn't great, I was like, yeah, I have been to the Olympics. That's like one less than 1% of the world's population goes. And I was like, I need to be proud of that. Like, if I'm not going to be proud of that, like, when are you ever going to be proud of yourself? So, and my dad always told me the one tattoo I could get was the Olympic ring. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think when I stand on the block, my left foot is not the front and I see the Olympic rings and it's just a reminder of like, okay, you have achieved this. And like, maybe you still feel like you have something to prove left to like your team or your coaches or the Dutch Federation. But at least like, I know I've achieved like the Olympics and yeah, it's hard. Like with my time, I would have like made finals, I think with the time that I qualified for, but, or just, just missed finals. And I was like, you know, that's okay. You think it's like, it's possible. So that's what I want to do. But I think it's also, you have to realize again, like there's so many different factors and so many different, how you feel, whatever. I think it's just, if you're not proud, I've really had to learn to live in the moment much more and just like live in the present and be okay with whatever happens at this point, rather than reminiscing about the past or worrying too much about the future. And I think I actually have a tattoo. The second one I got says here, um, because during COVID, I think I much more like started focusing on, I was too much living in my time of 2016 and that I haven't swam that and worrying about what I'm going to do next year and like all that type of thing and I was like I just if there's any a time to like live in the now and things you can't control was during the pandemic because there's so many outside factors you had no control over and so I really started taking that mentality on is I just want to live much more in the present and be happy with what I'm doing rather than only worrying or being anxious about things I can't control or things that have happened and I can't change anyway or can't copy paste again in the future so I was about to ask yeah. you because you mentioned that the yeah, one so I tattoo. Got two. I got two. Yeah. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I got this. Yeah. So the dot is for now. So it's here and now. Wow. So. And and the thing that reminds me, like that tattoo reminds me of, is there's this great little story of Joe Heller and Kurt Vonnegut, the author of uh, Catch Twenty Two, and yep. the story goes that they're they're at this billionaire's party. And it's very fun. They're together. They're talking. And just to mess with him, Vonnegut tells Heller, like, how does it make you feel that our host only today made more money than your best novel ever will? <laughs> yeah. And Heller replies, I have something that he never will. And he goes, what on earth could that be? And he just replies, enough. Oh, and, okay. yep. and I feel like that's yep. what you're saying, though. Yep. Like, you're in the moment. And it's like, you could always aspire, like, oh, the Olympics yep. or finals or this yep. and that. And, and I'm not against the tattoo at all. Yep. Again, I can't say much because I don't have it and I never will. But at the same time, like you having that, it's a special reminder. Like you mentioned, it's not the 1%. It's the 1% of the 1%. Like 1% is a big amount, I think. But the 1% of the 1% being able to do that, of course you should be part of it. Of course you should Mm -hmm. have it. Of course you should remind yourself of what you're capable of. Like people could only dream of that, you know? But at the same time, I was just curious because... to a certain extent I don't think anything can define you like speaking about politics right a president or a prime minister like for forever at least in the U.S. like you're Mr. President for the rest of your life and to me it's like 
a human should be so much more than that, regardless of their accomplishments. Like, you're, you should never be limited to your accomplishments, but having those reminders of what you have accomplished and how that makes you who you are and your lived experiences so, is very powerful. I would say the tattoo to me doesn't, it doesn't define that I'm an Olympian. It's like what I did to get there. And like the hard work, the dedication, the sacrifices, and like a reminder that that's who I am. And like, it's not Robin the Olympian, it's Robin who worked day in and day out to get to that. Like that's kind of, I think the reminder more for this tattoo, yeah. I love that. And I think it complements the other one so well. Thank you. So That's awesome, that's very awesome. Yeah. Um, I actually got this one right after Europeans last really? year. Cause I, I was like, okay, this me just wasn't it. And I read the book, The Power of... I brought one book with me to Florida, and it was The Power of Now from Eka Tolle, which is how I got to this, like, realizing during, like, the pandemic that that's what I wanted. And after Europeans, I was kind of, like, slipping away from that again because I had been really good at this and, like, meditating and, like, being more present. And then after Europeans, I kind of felt myself, like, slipping away from this. I was like, I need a permanent reminder. <laughs> yeah. Because this is, like... I realized how good it was for me to, like, take on that staying in the present, like, mentality. So... That's yeah. awesome that that was your like realization and yeah. that you even have that now. Yeah. I think it's it's very cool. Yeah. Uh, with what you mentioned with like meditation and your previous thing that you had mentioned with journaling, like what are habits that helped you get through that? Because, okay, maybe we can relate to it on an Olympic swimmer level, yeah. but I think everybody's going through some sort of mental health. Student athletes definitely are, but humans in general. So what yeah. were your habits? She bought a journal for us where we every morning would have to write three things that you're grateful for. There's so many people talk about it, but when you actually do it for a long period, like it really, you start actually looking for things that you're grateful for throughout the day and like being like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, the weather isn't great and I'm tired and I'm hungry, but I'm at Cal, I'm like on a, like on a scholarship here, like I'm swimming outside, like it'll just, it kind of shifts your perspective from that and you start focusing more on the like positive side of things and I'm definitely not good at this every day, but I do try and meditate. I think it just like, helps at least in our busy schedules and our busy days like just to take 10 minutes and just like focus on my breath and just like it grounds you like in some sort of way so those are kind of the two things that I try and do to keep that going yeah yeah and again it goes back to perspective as well and and the gratitude I I do practice that as well and it's the same thing right like for us athletes that are so ambitious and so competitive that's important and it should yeah. continue to help us like yeah. grow and become more. Because I think it also, it shifts your perspective from everything you want to achieve. Like rather than like focusing on, I want this, I want this, like this is my goal. It's like, okay, you you have this, like this is what you're doing. Like it focuses on what you have and that way like takes you back, like takes you away from reminiscing about the past or worrying about the future and just brings you back into the like what you are right now. Exactly. So, that's and, and that's the point because if you can't be grateful right now, you're yeah. not going to be grateful when you're quote-unquote you, successful. When you make it, yeah, when you make your goal that you're worrying about right now. So, yeah. yeah. yeah I think there was, like, a quote in that book. It's, like, you you can never change the past, and the only way you can change the future is by doing something right now. So that's, I took, uh, that quote was, like, the if you need to know one thing about the book, that's that's it. And I was, like, yeah, why would I be worrying about the future when the only way I can change it is doing something, like, right now? I'm going to so, read that book, The Power of Now? Yeah, from Eckhart Tolle. Awesome. Definitely advise that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what I was mentioning about Europeans, the question I had, 
obviously it's extremely cool but what's the bond like at an international meet with other fellow bears it seems pretty cool that you you mentioned those names because literally everyone except to, emma yeah. have been here so that's pretty cool <laughs> you should cool. talk to emma too she's yeah. pretty cool but um i don't know it's it's cool because we are all from different countries spain sweden england croatia the netherlands I said it right this time and you're like in your your outfit like i'm in bright orange i look like a clown but um you know and you're there like you go from the day-to-day grind at Cal and all of a sudden you're at an international meet and you're representing like your respective country. And it's, it's super cool. Cause you know that not a lot of people are there and it's like an elite group. And, but at the same time, like some of my best friends are at this meet and it's like, okay, Hey, <laughs> and it's so cool to just like run into them. And there's other Dutch swimmers. Like there's two guys, Casper Corbo and Nice Costagno, who also swim in America, who are like at, who swim for the Netherlands. And there's just a different understanding of what it takes to be, a student-athlete at an American university and then also represent your country internationally. So that's pretty unique, yeah. That's such a sick, like, idea in my head right now of, like, you guys being at such an elite level yeah. and it's like, oh, my, my uh, friends my from... My friends! <laughs> that's <Hey>. crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's no, so fun. sick. It's pretty cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah that, that is very, very cool. Yeah. Um, well, with the senior year, fifth year, yep. you already mentioned your mentality coming yeah. into it what um yeah like 14 freshmen i knew that that's half your team literally and the sophomores on top of that which is hard you're one of the captains Mm -hmm. what was that experience like it's hard (laughs) i really i love my freshmen i love my whole team but it was hard because you know so many new faces and so many new factors and slowly stuff was like becoming normal again but still we had some COVID things and we just like a gray area that no one really knew how to navigate and yet you're being look up, looked up to to have the answer. And I'm like, I, I don't know, but I had to pretend I, I knew it because I'm like, I'm the captain. I've been here for four years. So Robin knows the answers, but I'm still figuring it out just as much. I think like no matter how long you've been here, you're still learning. And that's, I think in the end, like a lot of collaborative work with my other two captains, Elise Garcia and Ayla Spitz. And we did, I think, I mean, it was hard. I don't know how other people would rate us, but I, we tried our absolute best and just like, trying to create like a collaborative like inclusive environment and not just like top down like this is how it needs to be but just like okay you guys you have a new perspective and you know they're they're six years younger at this point because I like took an extra year of high school I'm 24 and they're like just turned 18 and it's a big difference but so learning from each other I would say is like how we wanted to create like that environment so it was it was hard but Yeah. yeah what's the process of picking captains um the team boats okay yeah yeah, and then we, so most years we have three, but the team votes. So you choose your one, two, three pick, and then, so, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, with with that, let's see, fifth year, my next question was going to be, I know you guys had a transfer, but were you the only fifth year? Uh, yeah, so we had two fifth years, yeah, one transfer and me. Okay. So that was it. Yep. Okay, so you were the person everybody looked yes. up to for Yeah, because like the other fifth year, had no idea. what She was just as much a freshman. Um, and we had a small senior class. So it was basically this, the juniors kind of knew stuff. The seniors knew it. And then like me. So it was like, I felt a lot of pressure in that sense. But I mean, it was cool. Like I was like, okay, I'm creating. I knew I was consciously like creating an environment like that people then would take on later when they're captains or something like that. So I was pretty conscious about that. So yeah. In terms of your thesis, you just completed it. Yes. <laughs> Academically, insane resume towards the end, which we're about to get into. Yes. But you did bring up um, like the NCs being a whole different story. Mm-hmm. So season-wise, you're focusing on 
enjoying the social life, enjoying your last few months uh, yeah. in America, um, in focus on your thesis. Things are great on that end, but what was your swimming experience like? With yeah. what you mentioned? Um, it almost feels like I never really took off. Like, I feel like you always take a little time off in the summer and then you build up and then like you get more fit and then more meets come and you just get like, kind of like go into competition mode. And I just feel like I never really took off this year because I got thrown quite a lot of curveballs like health wise. Like I had bronchitis, then I had the stomach flu, then I got a concussion. Then I had at pac I had an infected wisdom tooth. So it was just like one punch after the next. <laughs> um, like every time I felt like I was getting back, like something threw me off again. So it was tough. Um, and it definitely, I never thought that I would be in a situation where I wouldn't make NCAAs because that just like kind of never was a challenge as much for me. It was more like, okay, I'm going to make NCs and then it's like, how, how high can I place at NCs? And all of a sudden I'm like dealing and grappling with like, maybe I won't make NCs this year. Like, uh, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> so I, but again, like, I think in some way it was my body telling me that it was okay to be done that because I think I was toying around with the idea of stopping swimming once I was done at Cal to be ready for whatever next stage in life and I just didn't dare say that out loud like I didn't want to say I was done because it was always Robin the summer as we were saying like I've done it for 16 years and was kind of scared of like who would I be without swimming like how what would my day look like but all of a sudden I'm like out of the pool for weeks on end because of my health and like a concussion right but like three weeks before Pac-12s and um pack 12 just like wasn't great and then I all of a sudden I'm like well I'm not at NC's so I'm I'm kind of done like it was it was it was weird and maybe it forced me in some sense to like question whether or not I wanted to keep swimming but I honestly think that was some higher power like deciding that that was good because it really made me think about like okay what do I actually want because and not take the things that have happened in the past four years like for granted because it's like Okay, yeah, I finaled each year in the 200 freestyle, and now that like the next year I'm not even making the meet. So it was like it really put it into perspective, and I'm more proud of those accomplishments because I didn't make it this year. And just like I think also learning that it's just not always guaranteed, and you no, know, like life, you can't control certain things, and that's okay. So yeah, that's super powerful. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a beautiful romantic way to look at it now for how to finish off a career when I was in the middle of it I was like oh this is not why I stayed an extra year for a fifth year but a lot of people now are asking me like are you so happy you like took a fifth year even though you like didn't make any of the swimming goals like you set out for yourself and I'm super grateful I did because it last year was not ready to leave I was not ready to say that I was done swimming and this year like I am so I just needed an extra year to like come to terms with that and be okay with that so well in a way it kind of did favor yep. you that fifth yep. year. Yep. That's, so, that's awesome. Yep. In that way, it did, yeah. Who do you want to send it to? <laughs> Second time. What is wrong with this watch? I'm sorry. <laughs> you're good. Norman. No worries. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Um, in terms of what came up, obviously, it's uncontrollable. But how does a swimmer get a concussion? Yeah. Uh, dumb. I was in the weight room, and we were doing, like, a standing lap pull-down. And I, like, pulled it down as the last rep. The absolute last exercise of, like, the weight session and someone called my name and I got distracted and let go and like the bar with 110 pounds on it like came up on my chin and I got whiplash and in the beginning I was fine and then like two hours later I was like I am not fine (laughs) and I sat in a dark room for about five days and couldn't do anything it was a pretty bad it took me like a month I would say to at least like 
somewhat feel normal again. Yeah. Yeah. I had a concussion it's earlier terrible. this semester. It's terrible. I mean, it makes more sense for like soccer, but yeah, I was swimming it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. how on no, earth? No, unless you like swim into each other, which does happen sometimes, but it can happen. But yeah, this was in the weight room. Okay. So yeah. Well, in a way, it led yeah. you to to where you're at today, yes. which <laughs> is a very incredible point in your life. I would think like <laughs> the way you're you're finishing up is incredible um something that i was telling nina when she was here as well i think that from my point of view like the people i admire i think it's amazing to celebrate athletes i think it's amazing to celebrate good students but i think there is nothing like a true student athlete um in terms of like comparing to to other people or, or things like that I, I've built this legend in my head of what a student athlete is. And I think that there are student athletes that are leaning more to one or two mm-hmm. another. And obviously, academically, that sets you up for certain societal success, mm-hmm. which is very attractive, very mm-hmm. sexy, right? In terms of athletically, super attractive, super sexy to be at the top of whether it's swimmer of the year, athlete yeah. of the year, things like that. To me, the best thing is what you accomplish. Like, student or scholar athlete of the year is absolutely incredible. I think it is extremely underrated, like what it takes to get there because people are like, well, it's a balance between both, but I think you have to be a completely different breed to be (laughs) able to do that. And that's a legend I've built in my head. Like in my head, when I, when I think of student athlete, that's what I think of. And I think it is completely different breed. So that's awesome. Like for those that may not know, you were the Pac-12 Scholar Athlete of the Year for women's swimming and diving. Um, you've gotten some other awards as well. You got your teams, uh, Warren, Warren Hellman, which I'm sure is for the GPA. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, as well as a scholarship. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's I'm great. I'm stoked about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm stoked about all of them, but that one really helps me for the future as well. So. Yeah, because yeah. that, that is a, a scholarship for your master's yes. degree. Yep. Um, and just to as well give it uh, a number or have people understand 3.95 is yeah. insane <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is crazy yeah. like you like a 3.95 probably means you got one a minus your entire time here i think i have two wow two <laughs> that's crazy i mean there's some pass no pass classes in there for sure but um yeah yeah so and this year i was like i can't it, this cannot be the year i gotta be i was like this year i was like okay I'm so close. I just need to keep writing this out this way. I need to really focus. So, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. As well as you also got the award for Cal's graduating senior with the highest GPA. Like, all of these things. I think it's very rewarding, like, once it's recognized. Because yeah. one thing is... that That's the thing that makes you a different breed, I would think. That athletic, athletically, people get recognized all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, academically, people get recognized all the time. And that's black and white to yep. some degree. Yep. But the student-athlete combination yep. is so hard for it to get recognized. Yep. It is underrated, in my opinion, and I think it's the best of the best. Like, yep. that to me is peak. Like, peak. Well, that That is you. my... Personally, that's, like, a dream to me. Like, that is peak, in my opinion. And for you to be able to do that and for you to be rewarded, as you should... Towards the end, after so much work, I think it's incredible. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. <laughs> what What's next for you? I know you have some masters in mind going back home to Amsterdam. Yeah, so I um, 
always wanted so what I wanted I want to become a diplomat um for the Netherlands um I think to me I've always had like that as we talked about like the cultural thing the language thing I've seen a lot of different like ways that politics are set up and stuff like that I never wanted to go into politics and I was like okay but how can I still combine languages cultures working with people not in like the government but like working maybe for the government and so like the Ministry of Foreign Affairs came up for that um and they there's this diplomacy class so to even apply for that you need to have lived in five countries you need to have work experience international work experience which I do not have yet so that's I need to do that at some point you need to speak four languages like stuff like that so I was like that's kind of me I was looking through the checklist I was like okay that's me maybe I should look into this and so I need to get a master's degree to even apply for that um and I was like okay you know thinking about you know Georgetown is the best university in the world for like international relations and stuff like that but I had a really strong desire to want to go back home and back like to Europe um so then I started looking at options in the Netherlands and I'm still awaiting to hear from my top choice but um so that's international relations and European diplomacy so that's my plan hopefully awesome (laughs) awesome awesome, yeah yeah (laughs) what attracts you so much about Europe in the sense of diplomacy um that's funny because my dad was actually asking me the same thing he's like why do you actually want to become become a diplomat I'm like because it's cool (laughs) I don't know it's an easy answer but I think the fact that you're representing your government but I don't necessarily want to make the policies I don't I'm not like super into policy making but you are you're debating with people you're negotiating with other like foreign like political people and representing it at the international like stage um in a multi like level governance like representation and I think it was to me like it brings every single like political culture and economic culture and like social culture like all together and so many different factors are at play it's never going to be the same days of work I from what I know um and all the people experience but then culture and then politics economic it's just all those like different factors and I think having that at the international stage that was like my dream I was like okay that's my dream would one day be to like work for the UN. My dream dream would be like to be the UN diplomat for the Netherlands at the UN. Um, so something like that. But, you know, we'll see what doors open along the way and we'll see what happens. But, you know, working for the European Union or an NGO or because I also have a minor in human rights. So something like along that, that kind of like fell into my lap because I kept like choosing extra classes. And then I was like, wait, that's four out of five for a human rights minor. So it just kind of like that ended up being my interest. But so... We'll see where it takes me, but um, the goal would be, yeah, to do, to represent the Netherlands, not swimming wise, but politically. <laughs> so yeah. that's so awesome yeah. because the way you're describing it, it's you were just made for it, you know. Yeah, I I realized it when I looked at the website of the diplomacy class, as they call it, and like the requirements, and I was like, that's literally me, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think I'm on the right track here. Like this is the only thing I need is like a master's degree and some international work experience because swimming it's hard to work. Um, but yeah, so I was like that, you know, likes complex issues, like wants to to negotiate with people and like see different, I think global studies, especially like you see a problem and you have to look at all the different like complexes, like all the factors and like all the reasons for that problem like happening. And I feel like diplomacy is a big thing in that as well. Like you're in a different country representing your own country and you're trying to represent them in a political stage but also like get your country out there or like help with human rights issues in that country or stuff like that so there's it's so complex and i love that idea about that so that's so awesome yeah. that's so awesome and it's it's interesting how you were literally like 
shaped into it Some from, way, yeah. like throughout your life <laughs> yeah. it, it goes from obviously how much you moved yeah. the languages you speak how you understand the yeah. culture the experiences you've had like that all shapes you exactly. and for it to it doesn't fall into your lap because you've yeah. worked for it but instead of thinking of the goal and working towards that you just worked and then the goal appeared yeah. and then it's like whoa i'm close yeah yeah and yeah exactly yeah that's so yeah. awesome and and the different ways that you can approach it like from your experiences for example I was writing a couple papers last week on the exact same topic and it was the pursuit of happiness which is a huge thing in the US it's reading I actually in, took the psychology of human happiness this year okay as like an extra class interesting <laughs> I was intrigued on that yeah I yeah. I haven't taken that and I'm like attracted to yeah. it but it's like the pursuit of happiness from a political point mm. of view which it's written in the declaration of independence yeah. in the American yeah. one and it's like, what does that mean? Yep. And things like that. And it's so arbitrary. It's yeah. so, but the thing is, it's cultural. And yeah. that's why I'm pointing it out yeah. because of European, uh, it, it's titled, it's not that it is this, but it's referenced as European socialism. Mm-hmm. And it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. And the different experiences you've had, for example, in the US, the pursuit of happiness is individualistic, yeah. extremely. Yeah. And that's why you see privilege. So you see such a big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah. that's how we were made, and it was misunderstood. It's, it's super interesting to see how the culture was impacted through history. Yeah. So here's my yeah. nerdy moment yeah, of the yeah. podcast. Uh, I love it, though. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson writes that, but when it's printed, the first print, there's a period rather than a comma as it should be in the original copy. And that changes the entire meaning oh. because the period afterwards says pursuit of happiness, and that's it. But it doesn't follow along to say collectively in society. And I'm, I'm not I like I don't have it memorized, but it goes on to say how it should be as a community and how we all work towards that together. So when people misunderstand that and then Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton are fighting on federalism or anti-federalist in the government, it just splits up. Wow. Then you go all into because of a full stop, <laughs> literally just because of a full <laughs> That's stop. That's crazy. And that shaped the remainder of our history and you go into the american civil war which for many it's like well it was slavery against anti-slavery no it was the pursuit of happiness of different people using that privilege to take advantage of others and what like when when their pursuits were fighting against each other that's when there was civil war because they couldn't be diplomatic about it so the only other solution was war and that's the thing i'm getting to like in the u.s you've experienced to some degree, seeing how people are so individualistic. Mm-hmm. Now that you understand that, you can go back to Europe where it's much more society-based and helping each other out, which I personally really like that, as we call it here, European socialism, or like it's community-based. But once you understand the other side of the coin, rather than just criticizing it from across the pond, yep. it's so much better. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's, that's why I'm like thankful. I mean, it's kind of weird. I took classes about Europe from America, but in some sense, like, it really showed me like how America thinks about Europe and like how special like a welfare state is, for example, I always took that for granted. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That is super special. And the fact that you can go to university for free and like stuff like that. So I, I find it interesting though, because when I came to America, I think people are much more, and it may be pretentious or it may be superficial, but people are much more involved in each other's lives in America and you say, like, community-based, but I feel like at the airport, like, so many people come up to you and you're like, oh, you're Calgary, or my cousin's third dog's best friend passed away, grand- like, went to Cal, or even thought about going to Cal, and it's like, people are very intrigued about each other's lives, I think, in America, and, like, 
the fact that this is stupid but like at a grocery store someone's like how are you like in holland it's just like hey like i feel like in in amsterdam like it's a big city and it's super diverse so everyone kind of just like goes along in their own way and i think in america there is a sense of community but at the larger scale it's america's more individual and europe is more like communal it's kind of like it's interesting to me because i feel like there is much more like a neighborly maybe not berkeley but like neighborhoods like community whereas in the netherlands it's not at least in amsterdam in the big city i'm a big city girl from like where i've lived but so i think that contrast is pretty interesting but i think at the political level for sure because that's we have like 52 different political parties whereas in america it's like you're one or the other like that's it it's kind of black and white and in the netherlands we have a political coalition so it's like all these different types of political parties represent the larger will of the people basically so that in that sense it's a more like a better representation i think better representation community based yeah. and here it's so polarizing yeah. and it's one or the other yeah. sort of thing yeah. yeah but not only that to your point with big city girl I mean, go to New York, get on the subway. Nobody's gonna ask you how okay, your day is. Okay, so maybe is. I've just had some special experiences, and maybe Berkeley is like different in that sense. But that's you know where I have, and that's my experience of America. But in Holland, people would never talk to each other on the subway. So it's like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think at just different levels and different scales. Obviously, uh, city versus rural, like it's always gonna be different. But I think if you look at it on a big political scale, yes, America is extremely polarized, and the Netherlands not so much. Yeah. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We we mentioned a lot of things during the episode right now, like during the podcast that we say towards the end. Did I miss any or anything else? Because we did push back a few, and I think I covered them all. But... I think you did. Okay. Yeah, we went through all my years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we've covered most topics. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, to final few questions yeah. here to close up. Your incredible story, which I I'm super excited we got to talk about and that I got to know. Yeah. What is your definition of success? Gosh, I want to get a good. I want to give a good answer. I would say the definition of success is no like, it's no exact time or exact place. But I think it's, the definition of success is like the journey that gets you to the result. And no matter what the result is, I think it depends on how, whether or not you gave it your all, whether or not you had fun along with it. I think we've touched upon that, like having joy along the journey, like whether or not you were grateful for the experience, like were there with the people around you, like. I think that to me is, it's the people, it's the fun, and it's the journey to it rather than the place and the result. So That's I would awesome. say people, joy, journey. Yeah, those are the top three things. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. In terms of failure, what are your thoughts on that? I would say it doesn't define you. I've really had to learn that like not making NCAA's does not take away from what I've done before or doesn't define what I'm gonna do in the future. Um, but I think it's just a learning curve. I know it's super cheesy, but when one door closes, another opens. My dad always loved saying that, um, and I'm always like, yeah, sure. But then it actually does happen, and I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe he has a point. But I would say it's just it's a it's a life lesson. Failure is a life lesson. Yeah. Your biggest fear as a leader. It used to be not being liked. And I think this year I've really come to learn that a, being a leader doesn't mean that you have to be liked by all. I think it's that people respect you. Um, they don't have to necessarily like you. I think it's but that they trust in what you're doing and that they will follow along with you. And it doesn't mean that they blindly follow along, but I think it's that they challenge you 
to be the best you that you can be. But I think, yeah, so I think that used to be my biggest failure, but I think now it's just being misunderstood in your goal and your why you are doing what you are trying to set out to do. But I think in that sense, you as a leader can counteract that by not just like demanding and commanding, but explaining and collaboratively taking people along with you in your leadership. That's awesome. Very last one. The purpose that drives you, the why behind why you do things. I would say my family, for sure. And I would say my goal of wanting to in some way change the world as small as I can be, but make an impact in those in this world. Yeah. To leave your dent in the universe. To leave my dent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, you're, you clearly are doing that and you already have. I told you that since the invite. Like anytime <laughs> I invite someone, like I think there's many amazing people at Cal, like we already talked about. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have accomplished many things. So much, yeah. But it comes to a certain point where the... I don't know, I think it's 25 or, or some or a bit above that guest that I have had on here. It's from my perspective, people that are leaving their dent or doing something different or some some way I admire that, you yeah. know, and your story is incredible. Thank you. It was <laughs> way more special now that we talked about it because Thank usually you. I get a sense when I'm doing research, but... You talking about it is amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time. I know you. you have a crazy schedule right now and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of things going on, but I'm so, so glad we got to do this. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. been an honor. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Uh, kind of sad that I don't have time to get to know yeah. you more afterwards, but hopefully someday I can visit Amsterdam. Yeah, and, if you're ever there, let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, will do. Well, thank you so, so much. Yeah, I welcome. really appreciate it. And to everyone that watched on YouTube or listened on Spotify, thank you guys so much. If you're on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're on Spotify, please follow the podcast. That is it for today. I'll see you all next time. Go Bears. Go Bears. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at Fer Andrés. All links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.